Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Friday, November 17th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Homes Podcast. Jam-packed. Friday show for you guys here today. We've got uh, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, uh, talking about all things college football week 12. Week 12, the college football season. I can't believe we're already here. We talk about the college football latest playoff rankings. We talk about Mississippi State firing Zach Garnett and what that looks like for their next head coach, why J.B. Chadwell probably should be the guy uh, in Starkville next. Um, we talk about the big game, UT, Tennessee versus Georgia in Neyland Stadium on Saturday. I'll be in the building. So Matt Green and I talked a lot about how that game will ultimately unfold if the balls can pull off the upset. We talk uh, Washington on the road on upset alert at Oregon State. Uh, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, Clemson, USC, UCLA, Texas on episode alert at Iowa State, and a whole lot more college football content with Matt. And then we also got, oh yeah, jam-packed NBA on this edition of the show. We got the Ringers, Rob Mahoney talking Bucks, Alex Caruso, Chris Middleton, uh, the Pistons rough losing streak here, uh, where Jay Nivey fits, Kate Cunningham. We also talk about the Heat just bouncing back and this is just kind of who the heat are going to be and uh, Tyler Hero maybe belonging on the bench as a six-man guy and then playing better under those circumstances Jimmy Butler what you're going to get from him night to night and where the heat are as a whole so that was awesome we also got old friend the athletics Yovan Bua talking all things Lakers Austin Reeves Zach Levine um, Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan why they actually might be sneaky better fits for Los Angeles at the trade deadline then uh, Zach Levine, we talk about the Wolves and Sixers, if they're for real, the two spots in their respective conferences, uh, and then some Clippers issues, and then Houston playing above expectations right out of the gate here in the top four in the West right now. So uh, very interesting to see what Ime Udoka's got cooking with uh, the Rockets the rest of the way. So uh, jam-packed Friday show for you guys. Think you'll love it. Um, some jam-packed, awesome guests and uh, all that good stuff. But if you are new to this very show, don't forget, folks, uh, if you like what you hear today, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Uh, new episodes every single day on the Chase Homes podcast, so make sure you're locked in on your preferred podcast player. And then if you're already a listener and a subscriber and you haven't already done so, you know what I'm about to ask, please, please, please make a note and leave this show a five-star rating today and write us a review and let other folks know why you like the show and all the good stuff and why they might like it too. You can email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on YouTube, full episodes, clips, all the good stuff, over 1.4 thousand on the YouTube page. Make sure you're subscribed there if you are so inclined, youtube.com slash podcast, And of course, check out the homepage, 
all kinds of great content and information about the show and all that good stuff and how you can support it and everything else at chasethomaspodcast.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh, it is good to be back with you. This is a, this is a special week, you know. Um, mm. Also, just a shout out to the YouTube watchers. Rocking mm. my Ronald Acuna shirt. Unanimous National League MVP. Uh, shout out to Acuna. Um, but yeah, man, I've, we've been excited for this week. I think this is the uh, the preview show we've circled uh, the calendars for uh, all year long. It's uh, Georgia, Tennessee week. It is Georgia, Tennessee week, and we're going to get into that uh, momentary. I will be in the building. Uh, you were uh, cowardly not uh, looking to be in the building for... <laughs> what will be a potentially monumental upset for, for the dogs. Many are saying it feels like 09 in Knoxville, Tennessee this week. 09 was that Lane Kiffin's year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen a, a lot of good, uh, good memories on my uh, social media timeline. The Sean Jones uh, scoop and score before the half. Uh, mm. um, that was the, the Aaron Murray, uh, the long run back in, what was that? 2013 when, half of our team went down with ACLs that year. Aaron Murray put the team on his back. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lot of history of that rivalry for sure. Well, it will be, uh, it, it's funny too, cause they didn't play for a long time. They don't have as many games as you would think uh, in that rivalry. They didn't play really yeah. until the early nineties. Uh, there was a big gap there. So um, it's not like uh, there's a storied history here um, between Georgia and Tennessee because of the border and everything else. You would assume they would have played a lot more than they actually have over the last hundred years. Yeah, it's true. Uh, 27, 23, and 2 all-time mm. Georgia leads. Well, we'll get into that game. Uh, the top of the line, it's a pod divided, so everyone knows that this is the one we have circled. Uh, all of Matt's friends anxiously awaiting how uh, we handle uh, Tennessee and Georgia and all the folks over here in uh, Tennessee handling. It's curious how I will go when it comes to Tennessee-Georgia this weekend uh days removed now from the the beat down in columbia we we've moved we've turned the corner macroom we've turned the page that's all out the window and uh we're not thinking about like that the, well, we the are... stages of grief have you like you've, uh, you've worked your way through it yeah no we're done we we've moved forward uh i'm i'm done with it so uh i'm done with it the team's done with it they didn't ask me to uh talk to the team this week but uh i think the message got <laughs> out uh either way that this was a this is a big deal, and uh, the dogs are not to be taken lightly. I think I did see, though, that Bloody Tuesday was not a success for Jordan this week. That They've actually had a pretty lethargic uh, week of practice, so they've been getting on to... Maybe it was Tate Rutledge who was getting on to guys. Uh, they weren't happy, right? so uh, not getting up for this week, if I recall uh, reading some stuff. So I don't no. know. Maybe it's you've clinched the East. This game doesn't have as much on the line. Um, Do we'll I need see. to get my Allen Iverson on right now? I mean, hey. We you talked had a good about week of practice, practice last year. Is that you what had a good one about? going into Tennessee last week. <laughs> is that, or last is year. that right? Okay. That was the story coming in. Is like it was actually like I think it was like a strong bloody Tuesday for Georgia, mm-hmm. and they were pretty pretty amped up for it. So it was a pretty focused uh, game week. And this week, I don't think is uh, the same. And Kirby glowing remarks about well, uh, the shit. Balls. It's over. I wouldn't even. I come. was I was excited, but ah, I guess that's it. That decides it. 
I wouldn't come if I were the dog. <laughs> um, but excited to nonetheless have some strangers bark at me as my wife and I make our way uh, into Neyland Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Matt Green, um, CFP I'll, though. I only bark at the women and children. Well, there you have it. Um, the, we all know who the, the damn good dog is here between the two. The one that doesn't uh, inspire the the fan base to bark at children and uh, women in, the, in attendance. So uh, we know where America leans. It's uh, America's team versus uh, those damn dogs on Saturday afternoon that we'll get into in a second. Um, Matt Green, college football playoff uh, rankings came out this week. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs move up to number one. Ohio State drops down to number two. Uh, Michigan, number three. And Florida State number four. What uh, what say you? Did they get it right? Are these the four best teams right now? Yeah, I think a lot of people expected that jump uh, for Georgia to number one, just because Ohio State didn't seem like they had a, a firm grasp on that number one spot. And and their resume, I mean, you know, they they did they kind of dodged that question a few weeks back of like, are we counting the ranking when they played or what they currently are? Because you know, that that kind of drastically changes how you look at Ohio State's resume with what Penn State was probably like, what, six or seven when they played. And Notre Dame was up there near the top five as well. So both of those wins, I don't think, look as good right now today. And and now with Georgia, to, to, to use it, Chase Thomas, Georgia Sneaky has actually one of the best resumes of mm. those top playoff contenders right now. I mean, the Missouri and Ole Miss wins two two top thirteen wins right now. I'm not. Sh- I don't think any other uh, of the top you know six or seven teams can can say that. I mean, that's that's fair. I I also just don't know. Does anyone actually believe? Like we're talking about the eye test and everything else, but like Michigan gets a big win over uh, Penn State in dominating fashion. Like I don't know what you're looking for to be like yeah no michigan should be ahead of ohio state right now it doesn't matter they both get in but i don't really understand like what anyone's been seeing uh to this point in the year to still have michigan behind ohio state in your cfp rankings i I don't see the logic in that yeah i think it's just i think it's just the resume more than anything else and and michigan's gonna now they have the penn state win just like ohio state did and that their penn state game was on the road so it's even a little bit better a little more dominant too um, and then, you know, Maryland is not going to, that's probably not going to do anything, but you know, it's all going to work itself out when Ohio state, Michigan, uh, play and, and what, like 10 days from now, that's uh, right around the corner. Also, yeah. man, that the future of the big 10, not to cut you off, but the future of the big 10 is going to be an absolute disaster, by the way, like Ohio state, Michigan, mm. we would get it back to back weeks and that's terrible. Like that's so um. awful for the sport, like to, have a number two and number three playing a huge game in mm. Columbus, Ohio. Okay, now we're going to play this again next week in Indianapolis. Like, players are going to, what are they going to sit out like the first game? Like, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen? I think that's going to be a disaster because, like, even if you count in some of those Pac 12 teams, you know, maybe, maybe depending on how it works out, Oregon is, is in the Big Ten championship or something next year. But, I don't know. I, it feels like we're just doomed for an Ohio State-Michigan rematch a few times in that Big Ten championship. Auburn fans listen to this. I'm like, really? It's Matt Green making this case? Because I feel like a lot of Georgia fans were giving us grief about complaining about our plight uh, with Jared Stidham that run. <laughs> it at least like, was The dog fan back. complaining like about this is rich. Of, Real like rich coming from you, Matt Green, when Auburn fans had this exact complaint where they're like, we, we really have to do this again? We just beat both these teams down the stretch. We really have to play Georgia again? Is this really what we're doing? 
No, that was brutal. That was like twice in like three weeks. Yes. But but yeah, to have Alabama Auburn, we don't have divisions anymore. Like it's a crazy thought right now because of where those two programs are. But yeah, there's been years where Alabama and Auburn are the two best teams in the SEC. And if they played an epic Iron Bowl last game of the season and then played again the next week, it'd be just such a bummer. So yeah. I don't know. That's the that's the downside of getting rid of these divisions, in my opinion. That's fair. I agree. Uh, Matt, we had another firing uh, this uh, past week. Um, so Zach Arnett didn't even get through one full season at Mississippi State in Starkville before he got the axe. Um, man, it was a tough situation, and no matter what, walking into following uh, the tragic passing of Mike Leach, it's just it was a really incredible situation. I understand why you uh, just inserted uh, Arnett into the role full time. He was a rising star, Rocky Long disciple on defense. Um, still a defensive, a good defensive mind, but like, I just thought this was DOA when you moved on from the leech offense, like when you, especially for the first year where you might have, like, you should have kept the staff together. Like it should have been one of those things where year one, man, you've already got a lot on your plate. You're a young coach. You have this staff in place. I just would have kept everybody else in place. Like you're an inner, like just get through year one. If you want to gradually shift the offense away from the air raid or something, that's fine. You don't do that right away. I, I didn't understand that. And we talked about it in the podcast when it happened where I was like, man, like maybe the app state guy works out, but like, that's a big transition. I, I did not believe in the Will Rogers transition after so many years playing a certain way, uh, putting him in that spot for his final collegiate year. I didn't really like that. I mean, they had a lot of returning, um, uh, seniors and just upperclassmen. So that was another thing of like, just don't rock the boat, man. Like it's one of those, just ride this out and see, see where it gets you this year because uh, Mississippi State's extremely underachieved. The offense has been broken. Multiple quarterbacks have been out for them. I mean, uh, their transfer from uh, Mike Wright from Vanderbilt had to step in and he hasn't been good. Um, it's just been rough uh, for Mississippi State all across the board and it clearly was uh, probably not going to get better. But I don't know if that would have turned everything around if you had just kept the whole staff uh, out uh, like going into this year that you had uh, last year and just kept Leach's vision going at least for another year. I uh I don't know, but I just I think this was always going to just be a tough job and a tough situation. And I think uh, Zach, who I do think is a good defensive mind in this in the sport, and we'll find a, another spot soon. I just don't think that was wise to make that stark of a transition, uh, given the circumstances going into year one, and it I think backfired. And now uh, Mississippi State's looking for a new coach uh, this cycle. Yeah, I'm with you. You 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 look at Mississippi State and you're like, okay, what's like the one thing we do well? Yeah, let's change that. Yeah, it's like, well, what well, what are you what are we what are we doing here? But mm-hmm. um, I I I'm kind of mixed on this because I feel like uh, I've I've heard a lot of people talking like like Zach Arnett was done wrong. Like, oh, you fired coach out of one year. You're Mississippi State. Like, who do you think you are? But it's like the conditions of him getting this job. I'm sure Mississippi State you know, administration talk to him. It's like, you're clearly not our first guy. Like we, we had Mike Leach and a tragic passing like that was just kind of thrown onto us. Like we wanted to keep, try to keep the whole, you know, thing together, you know, keep the ship afloat and you were just the guy. So yeah, we'll try it out for a year, but it felt like he was an interim coach anyway. You know, mm-hmm. like it was just because of what the college ball calendar is like, you got to throw a coach in there. So you, you got a, a captain running the ship to keep that analogy going, you know? So I, uh, I think, uh, it makes sense. Like, is this guy ready to be a head coach at the sec level? Like maybe not like, 
he, he got one year and he, he did some questionable things, like you're saying, kind of just completely changing their offensive philosophy. Like, I think at Mississippi State, you kind of have to have a gimmick, like mm. not be Paul Johnson, you know, running the triple option, but like have something unique that like teams have to prepare for. So like, I think uh, that's what the air raid was for Mike Leach. And and they were getting some good athletes on the defensive side of the ball too. Like they they were always better than they, you kind of thought they should have been. And you, you kind of preseason each year, you're like, yeah, Mississippi State's probably the worst team in the West. And then they go seven and five, eight and mm. four and, and have a winning record in conference or, or at least win a few games in the conference. So I think, uh, I don't know where Mississippi state goes from here, but, um, I, I, I think I understand like Arnett not getting too long of a leash. No. And I, like I said, I think he'll, it's the circumstances stink. And I think no matter what, it was always gonna be a tough situation. I just think you made it tougher by doing a lot of change overnight and just trying to really put your stamp on the program that early. Um, and the contract also outlaid a kind of interim type deal here where it's not a big there. That's the other part of why he's out after one year. It's like the contract did not put them in a hole uh, in Starkfield to make that move now. So I don't know. I think Mississippi State's a tough job. I think it's always been a tough job. I think Dan Mullen did a great job. I think Mike Leach did a fantastic job for years. Um, and I think that was a really good situation and a really good match between him and uh and Mississippi State. I mean, the betting favorites right now are Jimmy Chadwell as the betting favorite, Lebby, Willie Fritz, Rhett Lashley, Tom Herman. The tweet thing was was not real though, right? That that turns out that that was. I guess not. Yeah, I guess Chadwell that was, was yeah. tweeting from Starkville. Yeah, but it would have been cool if it was though. <laughs> it would have. Glenn Schumann. I just don't think he needs to take this job. I think he'll get a better offer in a couple of years or maybe this cycle. Jimbo would be hilarious. I don't think that's happening. I hope Jimbo holds out for West Virginia. That'd be cool. Uh, Lance Leipold, I think, can do better. I mean, he was in the... I mean, Michigan State, I would rather have from Jim Leipold. Or uh, Lance Leipold, excuse me. Um, out of that list, who who jumps at you the most? Because I think Jamie Chadwell should be the pick here. Yeah, and I think he seems like the most gettable. Like, mm. Lance Leipold, like, is Mississippi State a better job than Kansas? Like... Obviously, they have more tradition of like caring about football than Kansas does, but like, you know, with with what like the landscape of the sport is, like Kansas could be one of the better programs in the Big Twelve. You know, under a, a good coach in the, the upcoming years, it's like you know you get more money in the SEC, but you're going to be in the bottom half of the conference. So I uh, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think Chadwell definitely feels like the biggest slam dunk they could get, but he's also a guy like, is he waiting for a bigger job? Cause he's been one of the hot names for a while now. And he kind of just made a lateral move in a way. Maybe it's an upgrade. Maybe he's getting paid more uh, at Liberty than he was at, at coastal Carolina. But it's like, it, it feels like he's still on a stepping stone. Like somebody's going to give him a big time job. And, and, and Mississippi state that, that really fits what I'm saying. A, t a guy that, that brings a really unique offense and it's it's not just going to be, you know, Sam Pittman in Arkansas. Like you're trying to like outpower teams that that are recruiting better players than you are. It's like that's that's a losing battle. Yeah, well, we'll see uh, ultimately what happens here. I mean, there's a lot of interesting names, but I just think when you're schools like Mississippi State, you got to have a fun offense. You got to have something different like we talked about. It has to be like a Jamie Chadwell type, Mike Leach type. Um, Dan Mullen uh, was the best, uh, like even though his offense may not have been as uh gadgety as some of those other guys it was still 
an offense, and it just helped having the best offensive mind in the sport, potentially yeah, the best Mullen, play caller. Yeah, Mullen's not necessarily a gimmick, but he's clearly one of the best offensive minds of of in college football of the last decade plus, just because mm. he had he's had very different teams, very different quarterbacks, and kind of found the best way to make things work. And it, like you saw guys like Nick Fitzgerald that couldn't even throw running for 1500 yards and having like a, a pretty solid offense. So yeah, Dan Mullen, I think that's the, the biggest thing about Dan Mullen was just whatever his team, you know, just finding the best way for his team to win. Absolutely. Um, well, Matt green, it's time. Let's get into our week 12 picks of the college football season sir one more week after this one the season just goes by we say it every year on this show it goes by so quick but um two weeks left big weekend here obviously for this very show but rivalry next week and thanksgiving and all that good stuff but uh matt green week 12 how do we stand going into this week's pick em? week 12 so going into this week this the season is just flying by here sir um, going into this week, you are 83 and 38 overall mm. to my 79 and 42. You got a four game lead on me overall. And then against the spread, you are 72, 45 and four on the season. 59.5%. Well done, sir. To my 66, 51 and four. So you got a six game lead on me against the spread here with just three weeks left. And that's a, that's a pretty mm. big lead. So you know, we'll see 54 and a half percent for myself, you know, over 50, you know, that's, that's all you can ask for. You win more than you're losing, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're flirting with that 60% number and that's, uh, that's nice right there. So, uh, Zeus on the other hand, sitting at 73.3%, 11, mm-hmm. 11 and four on the season with his home dog of the week. So, you know, just giving you winners. Penn state wasn't a winner last week, but he's been on a roll. Good for Zeus good for Zeus and you don't get to pick against Penn State anymore this season so you should be okay Matt Green all your big Penn State uh picks are over they're they're gone it's uh it's off the bandwagon it's uh it's over uh it's Jover um Matt Green where are we going first I think you know where we have to start things off. Let's just, you know, we could we could like save this for the finale, you know. That's that's what the people want, but you know, let's just give the people what they want right here, right now. We got Georgia Tennessee. We're going up to Rocky Top for this one. 3:30 CBS. The last 3:30 CBS game. We'll see mm. in the Georgia Tennessee rivalry. Um also really just bummed on how Georgia's schedule just keeps getting messed up. You know, we have this history of playing Auburn, the last, the deep South's oldest rivalry. It's like once, once it gets cold, once it starts getting dark at like five 30, like that's, that's the feeling of the Georgia Auburn game. Now we're getting it. Like, what was it in September? The last week of September this year, like October, early season really flipped with that Tennessee game. Mm Mm-hmm. And now this Tennessee game, I'm loving this. Like the SEC East, a big game right down the stretch, you know. And now we're getting rid of the SEC East. So we don't have divisions anymore. Um, but, yeah, this Tennessee game basically replacing that Auburn game is kind of the, the, the SEC finale on Georgia's schedule. And Georgia comes in as a 10-point dog on the road. 10-point. Uh, no, they weren't a Or 10-point favorite, I yeah. apologize, on the road. They are the dogs. They're always mm-hmm. a dog. Um and I don't even know where to start. Where do you want to start with this one, sir? Okay. Well, 
Look, I'm just glad that Georgia fans are not in their feelings about the the type of environment that this is going to be. And you saw some Georgia fans get really because Heupel said he expects uh, the fans <laughs> to be extremely loud. Because remember, Georgia fans, when it comes to Sanford Stadium, when you have your own Georgia podcast who are talking about and videotaping fans just sitting on their hands and not doing anything for big games this year, and you have multiple qualified uh people talking about georgia's home environment and the home crowd look bama has this problem georgia has this problem they're just not they're not the top of the sec they're not lsu they're not texas a&m they're not tennessee part of it's just the coliseum feel like you can no one else can really come close to what texas a&m and uh tennessee are when they're rocking just with the numbers with the type of stadium that it is to coliseum like you have a starting offensive lineman at university of georgia right now who talked about nothing comparing to Neyland Stadium. And he's going to play in this game. Uh, Mr. Tate Rutledge talking about this. It's just different. But Georgia, you can't have... He like you grew ha- up a Tennessee fan. doesn't matter. He knows ball. And that's what many are saying. And Matt Green, it's so funny to me because it's like Georgia has it all. Like you haven't lost a game since 2021. You um, go into this year. You just keep winning football games. You have back-to-back national champions. You're in the best high school football state now in the country. You're in fertile territory. You have maybe the best coach in the sport right now. You are in the best position of anybody. You've built the Death Star. You've replicated what Saban built at Alabama. You're in the early stages of what Saban built at Alabama many years ago. Every Everything's great. Like You're just putting teams into a blender every second half. Every team sometimes will think, oh, do is this... Oh, no, no, it's not. And then Georgia just stomps on your face. And this is something they've been doing all season long. Everything's great for Georgia. Carson Beck looks awesome. You've been able to integrate that. Mike Bobo hasn't been a drop-off from Todd Monken. Uh, the defense is great. C.J. Allen looks like the next next superstar linebacker for Georgia. The secondary's been great. The offensive line's getting healthy. Uh, Kendall Milton finally has been healthy of late. You have the best wide receiver room in all of college football. Or maybe not shouldn't say all of college football, but definitely all of the SEC. And yet... You still just can't admit one thing about the university. The fan base just can't admit that the stadium and the home crowd is not very good and that it requires the stadium and it requires the coaching staff to get up and ask the the, the coaching the, the fans to actually get up for these games. It's okay. They don't call it Sleepy Sanford for nothing. Like That's part of the deal when you walk in there. It's a little bit different when you go in the plains. It's a little bit different when you go into Neyland Stadium. It's a little bit different when you go into Death Valley at night. It's a little bit different when you go into the swamp. It's a little bit different when you go into South Carolina late in the season. It's just different environments. It's okay. Alabama's the same way, and they've won a lot of national titles. It doesn't matter. No one's fearing going into Alabama. Tennessee wasn't. There were no pre-snap penalty issues yeah, at Alabama this year. There was no pre-snap Alabama about. penalties two years ago. What you're going to have happen here, it's a little bit different when you walk into Neyland. It's a little bit different when you walk into some of these universities. You have Tennessee does not have a lot to hang their head on uh, when it comes to Tennessee versus Georgia. One thing they can, and it's not even a question, is it's a better environment. It's a stronger environment. It's a more intimidating environment. And fans get up for it every single week. doesn't matter what kind of situation it is. It's okay that Georgia's like the sixth or seventh best uh, home environment in the SEC. It doesn't matter because you just but keep that's, winning. See, that's where you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Because first of all, we spent way too much time talking about the fans and the environment. I'm like just splitting hairs here. It's one thing to say Georgia's not as loud as LSU or A&M or Tennessee, but you're saying Georgia's not a difficult place to play. Like, it's not a place that gets insanely loud. There's 92,000 people. Like, Alabama gets insanely loud. Like, it's not mm. like it's... it's. I mean, you saw it two weeks ago for that LSU game. Like, that crowd was, was insane. Like, mm. Alabama got 
got stale because they expected to beat everybody by 30 points. And so their fans got, you know, whatever. They got spoiled like that. Like Alabama, it's like they've kind of had a rejuvenation of like they're a regular team again. They're just a really good regular team. And their fans, they're kind of more into it, I feel like, in recent years. And anyone who has that opinion of Sanford Stadium has not been to a game since Kirby Smart took over. Because once Kirby took over, it kind of just completely changed like the culture of Georgia football. There's just so much negativity through the Mark Richt years of how long it had been since they won that this and that and and whatever. There just there was a there was an energy that was missing, especially in the second half of the Rick tenure. So and, and not even after they got good, like 2016 Auburn, like year one of of, of Kirby Smart, like that was a big time environment. Like I think Georgia is just. It's one thing to, to say it's it's not as the loudest place in college football, but it's another to be like, oh, it's it's not a tough place to play. Like it's clearly a tough place to play. Tennessee had eight pre-snap penalties last year. Like multiple players talked about how ridiculous the environment was. Like it's it's obviously a tough place to play college football. It's a it's a loud environment. Neyland Stadium with what fifteen thousand more people in the building. And a different geo, uh, what am I trying to say? Architectural structure is probably a louder environment, but it's like they're both tough places to play. Eh, who cares? Uh, moving forward, Mac Green, <laughs> in terms of what actually happened here on Saturday, uh, I like I said, I will be in the building. Um, my first question to you: How does Georgia win this game? When you're playing out in your head, how do you think this game will go? Why do you think Georgia ultimately wins this game? Because Look, um, they're in the same spot. I think it's kind of funny that Georgia moves up to number one in the CFP rankings the week of Tennessee, because if you recall, that's what got Georgia upped uh, for Tennessee when they came to town because they felt disrespected with Tennessee going to number Georgia, one. They were going to be up for the game regardless. It like, just it's a nice added more added to motiv- it. It was definitely a nice little added motivation. So it's an added motivation for Tennessee on the back end, getting them at home, Georgia number one back in the... Back in the driver's seat to be the number one overall seed in the college football playoff, they went out. Um, what what happens in your estimation as to why? Because I, I know you're going to pick Georgia to win this game. So how do you think Georgia ultimately wins this game on the road? I just don't think this Tennessee team is built like a team that's going to beat Georgia. And, and ultimately, like you look at like kind of what Tennessee does well, like there's nothing that Tennessee like does well that Georgia does poorly. It's like... It's like Tennessee's seventh in the country in sacks this year. It's like Georgia's seventh in the, in the country allow, allowing sacks, right? Like they've given up nine sacks this year. It's like one of the best in college football. Like the Ole Miss, I think the Ole Miss defensive coordinator saw something that like they reviewing the film, like literally they did not put a finger on Carson Beck in the game at any point in the game, like didn't get a pressure on him the entire game. So Georgia's, I think, pass blocking has been really good this year. And that's why like, I think the the way Tennessee wins this game, it if they're not able to run the ball, like I think this this might be a blowout because I think you saw the Missouri game, they kind of had to give up on the run and and that's just not a winning formula for Tennessee. So, you know, at home, I think, you know, there's a chance like you saw you've seen Georgia give up some rushing yards to Ole Miss, to Missouri, but it's still like I just look at this offense and this offense that Tennessee, it's it's crazy to say after what it was a year ago, this offense just doesn't really scare me that much. It's it's just Joe Milton. I think Joe Milton has to play the game of his life personally. Mm. Like you saw the Alabama 
you know, what he was for two quarters and he was, you know, running around when he uh, get by an extra time, like hitting, hitting deep shots. Like that's what they're going to have to do. I think to beat Georgia, because I think even if this, and I think this is why Georgia is so dangerous this year. It's like, even if it gets into a shootout, like it's hard to, it's hard to see a better offense than Georgia. Like it's because ultimately I think that's why I, I see Georgia winning this game. Cause they're just too, they're too deep here. I, I've talked for too long. I'll let you, I'll let you go. Uh, re- rebuttal to anything I said. Well, I do. I think what you talked about with Joe Milton is imperative, but I think I would revise it just a little bit. I don't think Joe Milton has to have the game of his life. I think Joe Milton has to have the half of his life because he is folded in the second half. He's gotten a little overwhelmed in the second half when they're playing from behind, when things start to unravel, that's when Joe's kind of shut down. You saw it in Alabama uh, a few weeks back, you saw it at uh, Florida in the second quarter. You saw it in um, uh, Missouri last week in the second half, obviously. I don't think he actually has to play four quarters of elite football for Tennessee to win uh, a big game like this. I think he has to play two. I think it's one of those where, look, Jalen Wright, when he uh, in Tennessee three losses, he's averaging like three yards a carry and uh, their uh, seven wins. He's averaging eight yards a carry. Um, Tennessee can't win if they can't run the football. But that includes Joe Milton. Joe Milton's going to need to run the football in this game. He's going to need to do it well. He's going to uh, not be able to turn the ball over in this one. He's going to have to play mistake-free football for four quarters, but he also just has to have a really good one where he hits a couple deep shots one quarter, and then he's just a solid game manager. You hope the defense keeps up and just let's... I mean, Georgia's going to drive down the field on Tennessee where the game Matt, like gets really tight is what happens when Georgia's in the red zone against Tennessee because tennis, uh, Georgia has been getting into the red zone at a crazy number, which is 50%. Uh, CBS Sports, Tom Fernelli has this stat. Georgia's offense is practically unstoppable at the moment. It has reached the red zone on 50% of its possessions, the highest rate in the nation. Like, Tennessee's secondary is banged up. Uh, the linebackers are obviously uh, devastated by injuries. Like, you're going to be able to move the ball down the field uh, and kneeling on Saturday. The thing is, what happens when you get in the red zone? If Tennessee can force enough field goals, if Tennessee can get some stops, um, that's huge. But I also just think... Joe Milton just has to have, he can't have those just quarters of just nothing happens. And then suddenly you look up and Georgia's up three scores. Like you have to just be okay. You have to, even if you have a bad series, you have to let that roll off and bounce back with a, in the way that Hinton Hooker did where um, Joe, I don't know if was going to be able to ever do like, you remember last year where it looked like the game was over when uh, Hinton Hooker had the fumble with, um, I guess it was Jalen Wright uh, in the back uh, end of the touchdown uh, in the end zone and Dallas Turner picked it up late in the Alabama Tennessee game and Alabama oh, went yeah. up and it felt like, Oh, that was the moment. That's where the game turns. Hinton hooker proceeds to drive down the field and score a touchdown. And it was like, he just wiped it. He was really good at wiping bad moments from his brain and just like, no y'all we're going back and we're going to score on the next possession. That was my bad. We'll go score. Joe hasn't done that. Joe is not a come from behind two scores down. Like we're going to bring this thing back. So if that's going to be the case all year long, then Tennessee needs to be in the game throughout. They can't get down multiple scores. And that just comes from Joe just not having a full bag quarter of football. If he can avoid that, then I think Tennessee has a good shot. And I also just think Tennessee is going to be able to run on Georgia. I think if your best case scenario here, you saw what Auburn did, right? They played keep away. They were able to run the football and keep it out of Georgia's hands, play pretty solid defense for the most part, even though it took a a great Brock Bowers effort. But I think if at home will help 
And I also just think Jalen Wright and company are going to get back on track and they're going to be able to run on Georgia. Georgia teams have been able to run on Georgia this year. And I mean, uh, Jalen Wright still second in the SEC in yards per carry at 7.25. Dylan Sampson's got 425 yards. Jabari at uh, 400. I just think they're going to be able to run on them. But then the thing that scares me most about this game is Georgia's fourth in time of possession in the nation. They are really good at sitting on the ball, doing what they want, kind of doing what they did last year where Tennessee couldn't get the ball back and Georgia just was able to sit on it and just crush Tennessee slowly. And if that happens, Tennessee can't win. So you can't let Georgia dominate time of possession like that, uh, like they've been able to do this year. And if you can do that, then you have a shot. And I, I go back and forth on it. But ultimately... I'm not going against Tennessee here. I'm going to go against the home win streak. I'm going to say Joe plays a really good home game. This is a big night. This is the last big important game for him inside Neil. And you got Vanderbilt the following week for senior night. But this is it. Like, you got to leave it all on the line. I think Tennessee's going to be able to run on them. Like I've said, I think that will help in the long run. Like Kirby Smart said, it's easily the best stable of backs we've seen this year. And that includes the quarterback. I think Heupel's going to have a good game plan at home. I think they're going to be motivated coming up that Mizzou embarrassment. And I just think you're going to see the best version of Tennessee. Um, there's a reason that they have not lost a home game since Georgia in 2021. They're going to play well, and they're going to bounce back, and they're going to beat Georgia. They're going to beat Georgia 38-35. to 35. Ooh. You think somebody's hanging 38 on Georgia? I, I just, do. You look at what Tennessee... What Tennessee has done versus Power 5 teams this year, they're averaging 26 points a game against Power Mm -hmm. 5 competition. Like Georgia's worst game against Power 5 competition was probably the 27 they put up against Auburn. And also Auburn, like that that was a long time ago. That was Carson Beck's, what, like third, fourth career start. Like this offense is completely different, I think, since Auburn. Georgia's had a... Obviously, we talked about their schedule preseason, but it really has been just a a, rare, a very interesting season because you went to Auburn, um, what September thirtieth or something. Vanderbilt is the only other road game this team has played because of Jacksonville being a, a neutral site. So Auburn really is the only other game to compare it to in terms of a road environment, and it's I think it's hard to take much from that because Georgia is just a completely different team right now, like with Kendall Milton and and Dejon Edwards both being healthy right now. This receiving core, you said you said it earlier, like this is the deepest receiving core in the SEC. Like they had five dudes with 20 plus catches on the season. Oscar Delp also has 19. Like they give it they spread it around to everybody. And I think Brock Bowers Brock Bowers is just such a a unicorn. Like he he hasn't done much in the in the two games against Tennessee, but I think that's because Tennessee is doing everything they can to take away Brock Bowers and it's going to open up things for somebody else. So I think you can't stop Bowers and McConkey and Dominic Lovett and Marcus Roseme Jack Saint and Ra Ra Thomas. I think it's just too many weapons. Carson Beck is just, he's been feeling it. And I think he's this, this might be the game that gets him into the actual like Heisman you know, finalist conversation. Cause I don't think he wins it or anything, but I think he is starting. We know what the formula is, right? If you're, if you're the quarterback on the number one team, that's a damn good start. But I mean, this guy's what like third or fourth in the country and passing yards, like Georgia really is a pass first offense this year. And, and he's the one leading the way. 
I just I think the only way Tennessee wins this game is it's got to be like a, a 20, 24 to 20 or something. They're able to just, I don't know, run the ball, take, take, take the clock out of it. Like it's kind of crazy how how these two teams are are like kind of swapped from a year ago. Not that Tennessee's quite as good as Georgia was last year or anything, but in terms of Georgia was the the more defensive minded team and and they had to worry about Tennessee's offense just you know, going off or whatever. And I think that's why you saw them do what they did in the third quarter and try to just sit on the ball for as long, just keep that ball out of the, the off Tennessee offense's hands. And this year that offense looks like Georgia. And I think, I think it's going to be tough for Tennessee to really slow Georgia down too much. I'm going to take Georgia to win this game 34 to 20. I think we got a good game for a couple quarters, but I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see Tennessee getting enough stops to really uh to really challenge your like to make this a game like down the stretch i mean we'll see we tennessee has not been able to respond when they've been punched in the mouth in the second half yet like that's if tennessee wants to win this game they have to do that at home they have to respond to because georgia's going to do that in the second half georgia's going to adjust georgia's going to hit tennessee hard and georgia's also going to be able to drive up and down the field like the the middle part, like I said before, like I'm not expecting a big Brock Bowers game. He hasn't done anything in the last two years against Tennessee. I would not estimate he does it again this game. But I do think Lab McConkey is a huge mismatch for Tennessee in the secondary. And I think he has he's going to be able to feast. But I also think Dejan Edwards is going to be good. And I also am very curious to see if Carson Beck uses his legs. Because Tennessee, I wonder if they amp up the pressure. If uh, James Pearson coming near and be able to get home on Carson Beck a little bit here because it's going to be loud we'll see how he responds to what will be the loudest and truest road test he's faced uh to this point in this young college football starting career i'm curious how he responds there because what's killed tennessee and what killed them last week was the dump offs to cody schrader and linebackers who were too slow and their eyes were in the wrong place and just could not read and react and get to those guys early but also brady cook on third and long like he would take off and run and that's what killed uh, more Matt Corral killed Tennessee with it. And George is the number one it. team. George is the number one team in the country on third down. No, what I'm saying is, but it has to be running. Like it has to be Carson Beck running. And I think I'm very curious to see if Carson Beck runs on third and eight and runs for a first down. That's what I'm curious. See, I just don't know why you think Carson Beck needs to run at all to win. Cause this that's game. Tennessee's weakness. Like, I mean, Jalen Milrow didn't need to run to beat Tennessee. Yeah. Like it's, I, I think, I think Tennessee. I think there's a lot of different ways to beat this Tennessee team. And Georgia's been the best team, literally number one in the country on third down. And and Carson Beck also is very underrated with his legs. I think he's had a, a double digit yard rush in five ga- different games this season, including the Missouri and Ole Miss games. So I think if if Tennessee is you know, forced him out of the pocket and they're not really respecting him doing anything with his legs. I think you could easily see him pick up a couple first downs with his legs. I think he, he's done it uh, a couple times each of the past two weeks. But uh, you look at Kirby Smart, last thing I'll say, George won six straight in this rivalry. Um, the last win was obviously the, the Hail Mary in 2016. Since Kirby Smart took over, Georgia's outscored Tennessee 125 to 31 in mm. three games in Knoxville with a three and O record. So Kirby smart has taken this group up to Knoxville with some success. And I don't know, it's hard to see what Missouri just did a week ago. I know it's on the road, but it's hard to see that team that just got, you know, 
blown out by by Missouri, knocking off the number one team in the country the next week. We shall see, Matt Green. We shall see. Um, where are we going next? All right, let's see. Where are we going next? Uh, uh, prime time, Pac-12. We got Washington at Oregon State. Washington undefeated, number what are they? Number five in the country, and Oregon State is somehow favored by one. I think this one actually started Washington up uh, one and a half point favorite. I think. No, no. I think Oregon State's been been favored all week. So Oregon State one point favorite. I uh, what do you see? What do you think about this game? It is interesting that Oregon State is favored in this one. I mean, I think they should because I also think Oregon State's going to win this game. Uh, Washington's defense is not good. They've been getting exposed week over week. They've been lucky to survive here. The offense is elite. We know that. But I just don't think they have the horses on the back end to make this thing work. And I think this is actually a sneaky bad matchup for Washington. The Huskies are 52nd in rush defense coming into this game. Uh, Oregon State loves, 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 loves to run the football. And they're going to run, 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 run right at this Washington front. And they're going to be able to play keep away. Uh, Damian Martinez is a dude. He's a little bowling ball back there, uh, averaging 6.6 yards per carry. He has 1,024 yards, 7 TDs on the year. And also, DJU, he's playing his best ball his last five games. Uh, 12 TDs, no picks. Um, his accuracy has never been there. Um, still will never be there. He's 58% of his passes. But he's com- completing. Like, when he's taking these sh- shots, like, they're deep shots. Like he's taken big time throws. He has uh, 22 big time throws this season, uh, according to PFF, which is a big number. It's top 10 in all of uh, FBS. Um, he's only completing 58%, but look, Michael Penix, 9.7 yards per attempt. It's not that far off. And Michael Penix uh, Jr. is a Heisman uh, finalist uh, looking like. So all that to uh, add. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, Oregon State, extremely hard to beat at home uh in research stadium is what it's called i don't know if it was always called research stadium do you know or was yeah, it called sure beaver stadium they... no that's the pin State. No, that's was it ever penn called State. something else i that's I what i always thought it was because they did those big renovations on it a couple years ago but i think it's still the same name okay i wasn't sure um but they have won 16 of the past 17 games at said stadium so all that to be said i think this is finally where washington gets got I still think Washington makes the Pac-12 title game against Oregon, and then I think they lose in that rematch. So that would still be a great year, uh, ten and three or ten and two, and uh, well, I guess it'd be eleven and two in that scenario. But I do think they lose here. I think this is where they finally go down. Give me Oregon State thirty-one, Washington twenty-eight. Yeah, I think I'm with you. That's why I was just a little disappointed with Vegas because I was like, you know, I'm kind of liking Washington and Vegas is like, yeah, everyone's or I'm kind of liking Oregon State and Vegas. Like, yeah, everyone kind of likes Oregon State this week because it it feels like Washington's just been playing with fire the last few weeks. Um, They've allowed 34 points per game the last three uh, weeks. And um, I just this I think it's supposed to be some rain in this one. Uh, It just could be some messy conditions. And I think that kind of you know, plays into what Oregon State wants to do also. I just don't really trust this Washington defense. So um, I think I'm with you. I'm going to go uh, Oregon State 38, uh, Washington 34. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, uh, that that could throw a wrench into some things because I think, you know, we're all, we're all guaranteeing a, an Oregon win really in the Pac-12 championship. But if Washington is a one-loss Pac-12 champion, I don't think they carry the same weight as an Oregon one-loss champion. And I think uh, you could see, 
you know, Texas potentially like that, that could have some big implications uh, for the playoff rankings for sure. All right. Where are we going next, Matt Green? Let's keep it moving on another uh, interesting uh, line. We got Louisville coming in in the top 10 and they are a one point dog at Miami. And I feel like I was also bummed about this line because I'm like the ACC is just going to ACC, you know, and it's like, I feel like I've said it for years. Obviously Clemson has had their run where they were like dominant, but outside of Clemson and maybe Florida state when they're great, no one in the ACC is as good as you think they are. And no one in the ACC is as bad as you think they are. And so it's like, as soon as you're like, you know, Louisville, some crazy things happen. They're a one loss ACC champ. They might could get in the playoff. Like as soon as you start talking like that, that's when they go and lay an egg at Miami. You got a couple good defenses in this, in this game, but I think it's going to be low scoring, but I think it's going to be ugly. And I think Miami's going to find a way to upset Louisville. So give me Miami 23 Louisville 20. Wow. Big win for Miami here. Yeah, it's like as soon as you leave them for dead, it's like they then they then they pull off uh, the best one of the season. I just I don't even know who's gonna be at quarterback right now. Like Williams got banged up. He was a true freshman starter. He was like the first uh, true freshman quarterback start for Miami since like what was it Kaya? Is that right? What was his name? Brad Kaya. Yeah, Brad Kaya. I think was the last one to be a true freshman and start at Miami at quarterback. So pretty rare um and tyler van dyke just still it's just not gonna work out there long term and it's just and then it's like one I of those it's two gonna jake... be van dyke actually no well like jake garcia just stay like sometimes this is like the portal thing where it's like if he just stayed around and not gone to mizzou then like with the injuries and everything else like he would have gotten an opportunity at miami uh this year uh the grass is not always greener but um 21 26 these teams are actually pretty evenly uh stacked uh stats wise 21 and 26 in smp plus uh louisville slightly better there but um uh, bill Connolly's numbers have uh miami as a borderline top 25 team but louisville everyone thinks jeff brom offense 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 but look uh their defense is actually where their bread and butter is this year they're 12th in scoring defense um they have the best scoring defense in the acc as a whole um but it is interesting this is uh for miami and louisville uh louisville has never won in miami they've never beaten the hurricanes on their home turf um they also haven't beaten miami uh since 2014 where they won big 31 13 all that to be said i just don't trust this miami team i don't think (laughs) this miami team uh responds well in big games i uh i just i'm not a big believer here and i think louisville's just gonna keep taking care of business uh you got kentucky next week we'll see how that goes in a rivalry spot but um, they still have a lot to play for. They're playing for the college football playoff potentially still because they're they're not out of it. They went out. Who knows? You beat Florida State in the title game. You never know how it goes. Um, better coach team That's with drama. That's that talk I'm, I'm saying right there. It's dangerous talk for Louisville. I don't disagree. But until Miami proves it to me, I'm not taking Miami uh, in a pick them anymore. So give me Louisville as a road dog to win this one outright. And give me Louisville... Hmm. I think this will be a low scoring one. Give me Louisville 28, Miami 24. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um about the low scoring, but no, I'm gonna take Miami. Um, let's see. 
let's keep it moving. Let's stay in the ACC. We got North Carolina going at Clemson. Clemson is a seven and a half point favorite in this one. Another uh, uh, unranked team being favored uh, versus versus a ranked team. So this, I really have no idea what which of these two teams is going to show up. But I'll tell you what will happen. Mm. North Carolina Tar Heels have not won in Death Valley since 2001. And this game is going to go to overtime. Both of these teams have played two overtime games to this point. Every game they play, it seems, is close. And I think North Carolina is going to go in and beat Clemson for the first time, like I said, in Death Valley since 2001. North Carolina, 37-34. Wow. Um, here's the thing about, um, this one. And I like your stat cause like this is, this is not big, but it's also UNC hasn't weirdly played at Clemson since 2014. Um, and like you said, I'm one on the road there since 2001. Um, UNC also hasn't won 10 games since 2015. That's what they're still playing for with two losses. Drake may, this is it. He's going to the draft. Um, it's been kind of a weird year with their best wide receiver being dragged on by the NCAA uh transfer portal nonsense and uh keeping him out uh for his waiver and all that stuff but i thought this quote was interesting from mac brown quote they're old clemson again they're playing like a playoff team they dominated a georgia tech team that beat us so i sat there and i watched and i said "Uh uh-oh the boys are back they woke up that's all i needed to know like uh mac brown's over here like "Uh uh-oh um publicly about uh these clemson tigers four losses clemson's good again yeah Like, that's basically what I took from that, reading uh, about Mac Brown's thoughts on this game. Um, Clay, uh, Cade Klubnik is playing a lot better. Uh, they've beaten Notre Dame, beaten Georgia Tech. He has 314 passing yards in those games. He's completing over 60% of his passes, five TDs, two picks. Um, but he had a really good game against Georgia Tech, four TDs and good quarterback rating um, in that one. So I think Cade's playing a little bit better. People are getting a little bit more comfortable in Garrett Riley's scheme. I think Clemson's getting uh, just better as a whole. Five losses for them. I mean, goodness gracious, you're looking at maybe six and six uh, with Cle- uh, South Carolina next week at South Carolina. This is a sneaky big one for Clemson um, as they kind of close this out. So I think Clemson's kind of turned the corner here. I'm going to go Clemson at home. Give me Clemson because this North Carolina defense is not to be trusted. Give, who went to double overtime against Duke with a uh, banged up quarterback spot last week. They were lucky to survive there. No, give me Clemson. Give me Clemson 42. North Carolina, 37. 42-37. Put it on the board. Uh, Let's go to the Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, We got USC and UCLA. USC is a six-point favorite at home in this one. I went back and forth with this one, to be honest. Uh, Chip Kelly could be a dead man walking. We'll see uh, if he can hold on to the UCLA job um that might worry you a little bit or does that rally the troops do they do they know how important this game is how do you see this one going yeah no i think this is kind of sad because it's lost a lot of luster here uh with usd firing their dc and not being in the playoff picture and then ucla stumbling down the stretch here at six and four and like you said the chip kelly rumors and it not looking good uh for chip uh down the stretch and where that might be going and then guys getting ready to hop in the portal potentially that those rumblings and you're like okay what's going on at ucla but just bad vibes all around, which is never great going into this rivalry game. I didn't realize how lopsided it's been uh, over the years. UCLA has only won six of the last 24 meetings uh, with USC. Um, but um, 
it's uh it, i don't know like the last time ucla was at usc they won um two years ago but look a lot has been said about usc at this point but this is just a bad matchup, I think, for UCLA. Um, they're going to have to score, and I just don't trust this offense to be able to keep up with as much of a problem as USC's defense has been. Their offense is still great. They're number three in the nation scoring offense. They're number five for first down offense um, and passing offense. They're number eight in team passing efficiency, number nine in total offense. Like They're still a top 10 offense, top five in most categories all across the board. And I think to be able to uh, beat USC you have to score and I just don't think UCLA is going to be one of those teams that is going to be able to slow them down especially on the road so give me USC actually in a in a big win give me USC give me USC 45 UCLA 20 45 20 and what on earth would make you think USC can hold somebody to 20 points. It's you do have the score to keep up with USC, but everyone scores on USC. That's the easy part. So I uh, I'm actually gonna agree with you and take USC to cover to win and cover. But I think this is gonna be a, a track meet because that's what every USC game is. And I think they're gonna win 38-31. Okay. Let's keep it moving to the Big 12. We got Texas. Going on the road at Iowa State. Iowa State, seven and a half point home dog in this one. How do you see it going? Brings me to no pleasure to do this, Matt Green. And it kind of scares me because this has been a chalk season. Like, not a lot of upsets. The college ball playoff contenders are all just winning every week. They're all just surviving. There's really been no big upsets from the big group. Like, we haven't seen Washington go down. We haven't seen... Uh, we haven't seen uh, Georgia. Uh, we haven't seen uh, Florida State. We haven't seen you just go down the list. Michigan, yeah, Ohio Oklahoma. State. That was probably like the last big yeah. upset I really remember happening. Yeah, not a lot of upsets this year. Um, and I don't know why that is. It might just be this kind of year or whatever. But it also could happen at the end of the year. Matt Green, this is my home dog of the week. I don't like what's going on here. Quinn Ewers came back last week. That was nice. He played pretty well. He might be coming back next year. We'll see what that means for Arch Manning and company uh, if Quinn Ewers decides not to go and enter the draft uh, this year. This is their last roadblock. Uh, They get Texas Tech, I believe, the following week, and I think they'll be okay there. But I have just a bad feeling about this, Matt Graham. Bad feeling about Texas getting banged up. Jonathan Brooks out for the year. Their lead tailback now. They're just getting hit with the injury bug a little bit. Too much for my liking. Cyclones, by the way, 3-1, and I believe, in the Big 12 right now. Still kind of control their own destiny in the Big 12. Could still win out, and maybe they find themselves in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma. It's a big spot for them. They need some people to lose around them, but not out of the question. Their offensive coordinator, first year, Nate Shalisa. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's a lot. Shilhase? I don't know. Definitely butchered that. Apologies to Nate. I do not know how to pronounce his last name, but they've been good. They lost their quarterback to the gambling scandal before the year. They lost multiple players in that. And it seemed like the Iowa state offense was like left for dead. And uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, Matt Campbell was getting mad at questions and people heckling him and stuff. And Hey man, he proved that he's one of the, the best college football coaches in the country uh, this year with how he has rebounded uh, this Cyclones program that just really has a dearth of talent at this point. They've scored 27 points in six of uh, their seven games since the, uh since the first part of the year like they're the offense is quietly humming uh the defense is always great it's one of the best in the country um 
man, like they're if you look at just who wherever in the Big Twelve for their defensive standings, they're near the top. Like they're gonna hold Texas and give Texas problems. They're at home. I just I don't know. Texas has won their last two games by only six points total. I don't know. This just this is a rivalry game of streaks. Texas beat them last year, but before that, Iowa State had beat them like three years in a row. For whatever reason, they always play Texas tough. They there's a huge talent mismatch on both sides of the ball, but it's in Ames. There's just something about this Texas team that they just can't stay healthy. They can't get everybody on the same page. I I think this is going to be the first big upset. I think the Big 12 is about to remove themselves from the college football playoff picture. So give me Iowa State 27. Give me Texas 23. Wow. I uh, had a feeling you were going to take Iowa State. I um, It feels like one of these upsets that like... I guess almost like Oregon state, Washington, like so many people have talked about it. It almost doesn't feel like an upset anymore. I kind of feel it. Oh, Iowa state. That's a tricky matchup going to Ames, you know? So it feels like it's, it's not going to get, it's not going to slip under the radar for Texas, right? This is going to mm. be a prime time game. Like Jonathan Brooks being out, like that's a real bummer. Um, but I tend to think, because you look at these, these are the best two defenses in the in the Big Twelve. So it's one thing if we're talking like a Utah USC matchup where it's one good defense versus one good offense. It's Texas is the best offense in the Big Twelve, or at least one of them, and they're also one of the best defenses in the in the in the Big Twelve. Like Iowa State's one of the worst offenses in this conference, and, and maybe that that night crowd, uh, that uh, Jack Trice Stadium crowd, uh, is is rowdy enough to to swing things in their favor but i tend to think texas is just is going to come in and take care of business so give me texas to win 31 17 i just don't see this offense doing much on on this texas defense okay longhorns taking care of business Mm, Um, we disagree what is that three to this point oh yeah this is going to be an interesting one for sure um back to the pac-12 we got utah speaking of the utes going on the road at Arizona. And you know, I've been a big Arizona guy this year. Really uh they've been a home dog a couple couple times this year, and they're actually a 1 point favorite in this one. But I feel like Utah, I don't know, Utah just seems like that team that's the spoiler. And uh Arizona's having a, a nice season, they're a nice story, but uh Kyle Whittingham and this team, they're going to come in and they're going to find a way to win. This is going to take the under. I think it's like 46, 47 or something. Um, I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. Um, two really good defenses. And I think Utah is going to pull it out 24-21. Mm, I thought you were going to go Arizona here. Not so fast, my friend. Well, uh, Utah has won five straight in the series. Uh Utah has uh, lost two of their last three Um, big losses, though, to good teams in Washington and Oregon. So it's not the biggest thing in the world. Three losses, though, as a whole in the year. Um, They're 118th in passing. Cam rising after the year has been brutal for them. Um, But look, it's just the way things have gone. They they're doing the best they can. And they are 16th in scoring defense like the Utah defense hasn't gone anywhere. Whittingham bunch is still uh been putting the clamps on folks week in week out they gave washington a good game uh they got blasted by oregon that was the big surprise there but outside of that the defense has been strong um 
the Wildcats, though, their defense has been a little bit better than everyone anticipated. They, uh, they've handled rushing uh, really well. Um, they're allowing less than 100 yards per game on the ground, which would be a big win for Arizona this year. And the questions that uh, they had, I remember, had on one of their beat writers before the year, and he was pretty uh, concerned about uh, the defensive coordinator hire and how that was going to go for Arizona. And they've been really good there. Jeff Fish's group as a whole, the uh, change uh, from quarterback to uh, from Jane Delora has been really important for them. Uh, he, the the new kid's been really good, Noah, um, and just really stabilized uh, that whole offense and what they're trying to do. I mean, they're playing really good ball, um, and uh, I think they're seven and three, right? Am I mis- uh, correct on that? Arizona, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, all that being said. I just need to see Utah lose it. I need to see Utah lose another game like this. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if they lose this game. This is like the one that I don't feel. This is probably I feel the worst about this week. I, I really am going to take Utah, but it will not surprise me when I get home from Tennessee, uh, Georgia, and I just see Arizona up 10 late. It won't blow my brain that uh, you Arizona wins this outright, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give Utah the benefit of the doubt here late before uh, they get BYU next week. So give me Utah. Give me Utah 24, Arizona 21. All right. We got the same score on that one. Mm. I don't uh, feel great about it. No, I'm with you there. I, uh, it's, that's a, that was a hard game for me. They seem like two pretty similar teams for sure. Uh, both seven and three um on the year uh future big 12 matchup utah arizona <laughs> your your classic big 12 uh rivalry um mm-hmm. keep speaking of the big 12 let's go to the sunflower state kansas and kansas state uh kansas comes into this one a nine and a half point home dog but I'm not going to do it. I uh, 14 straight Kansas State has won in this series. Believe it or not, Kansas actually leads the all-time series by a lot. It's like hmm. 65 to 50 or something like that. So it's kind of like uh, Georgia-Florida was before the Spurrier-Urban Meyer domination. Like e- Even after all that domination, Georgia was still uh, ahead of the series. So, yeah. 14 straight for Kansas State, make it 15. And uh, yeah, uh, Kansas State 34, Kansas 20. I just, you know, who knows how many quarterbacks are going to get hurt for this Kansas team? Well, they're on to their third string quarterback this week. So Cole Ballard, I think, is starting. We'll see for now. Yeah, I mean, I know not not hoping anything bad happens to him by any Well, no, like it's just, it's tough, man. But Lance Leipold betting, it seems hard. Like he's one of the best coaches in the sport. He's done great work. They put the clamps on Texas tech uh, last week and they almost pulled that out. Even with the third stringer in there for a little bit, the defense played really well. Texas tech drove down late and hit the the game winning field goal to win that. But I mean, Kansas has just been devastated by injuries a little bit there at the quarterback spot. And they're still finding ways to win. They're, uh, with Neil and company running the ball, they've done really well there. So I think if they win this game, it's because Neil and company uh, were able to establish the run and were able to run on Kansas State. The thing that would give me pause about this, if you're a Wildcat fan, is like Kansas State's been bad on the road this year. Um, that's uh, been a problem all season long. But they topped 50 points for the first time since 2019 and under Chris Kleiman uh, against Baylor. Baylor's been the get-right game for everybody in the Big 12 this year. They've been awful. Uh, I think they're three and seven now. Uh, I wonder if Dave Miranda makes it through uh, this cycle. 
at uh, Baylor. But um, look, KU, uh, KU just lost at home to Texas Tech. Um, it was a tough performance uh, from the offense. I think they're going to struggle again on offense against uh, Chris Kleiman and company coming in here. I think the offense with Will Howard and company is uh, picking things up down the stretch for Kansas State. Kansas hasn't won in 15 years. I, uh, I'm i going to go Kansas State uh, to win this one outright on the road. Give me Kansas State 34, Kansas, hmm, I think Kansas covers. Give me Kansas 27. I was about to say, you're about to pick the same score as me at another game. Um, no, I'll allow it. Kansas uh, covering there. Um, all right, let's let's keep it uh, moving to former Big 12 school. Keeping it with the Big 12 theme. Uh, Missouri hosting Florida, and Missouri is an 11-point favorite in this one. Uh, how do you see this game going, sir? Um, so... Florida needs this one in a major way because you got Florida State uh, <laughs> headed up. Even with Florida State um, at home, you're not feeling great about it if you're a Florida fan, I don't think. But Mizzou, 11-point favorites in this one. That's kind of wild. I don't think either of us would have thought that was going to be the case coming into the year. Um, Florida's defense has gotten absolutely picked apart. I mean, what was it, 701 yards to LSU last week? That was insane. Like some of the numbers I was going through on three site about this because they do great work over there. Uh, Gators online uh, covering covering Florida. And if uh, so, Florida, if they can't win uh, this game uh, from this is from on three, it would mark the third straight season with a losing record in SEC play. They're three and four right now. That hasn't happened since the late 1940s and early 1950s after World War Two, Matt Green. Um, this is uncharted waters here, uh, for, for Florida. So I, this is a sneaky big one for them. Uh, they absolutely got embarrassed on defense against LSU the week prior. The defense is going in the wrong direction. The offense is maybe figuring some stuff out. They actually ran the ball pretty well with their two headed monster with ETN and Johnson last week. But Graham Mertz is like, he's Graham Mertz is like a super fied, uh, Grayson Lambert where he's just completing all of his passes. He's not really doing anything that excites you. He's uh, He broke Tim Tebow's Florida record of 203 consecutive pass attempts without an interception. So hey, Grayson Lambert to... was a winner, sir. What yeah. was he, like 10-1, and one, I think, as a starter or something like that? Well, he, uh... I, either way. It's just he's not throwing picks, but he's also not really making plays. Like It's not really like Graham Mertz is out here just throwing guys open and met, putting I feel the... like. I feel like he doesn't affect winning. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's a good player, but it's like you look up at the end, like because I feel like that was kind of a narrative going into the Georgia game. Like he's got to play the game of his life to go off on Florida. And it's like, I think we know exactly what he's going to do or to yeah. go f- to against Georgia. He's just, he's good. He's going to complete his passes and kind of do his job, but it doesn't like elevate the team in any way. It's, it's kind of bizarre because like I, I don't want to say he's bad because I don't think he's bad but I can't really call him good. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think he's just fine. Right. Like he's just fine. Um, so all that being said, Mizzou's going to shred this defense just like everybody else has the last few weeks. And I think they went out right. So give me Mizzou, give Mizzou 45, Florida 28, 45, 28. Yeah. I'm kind of with you in a, in a similar, uh, in a similar way. I think, uh, I think Mizzou wins. My, my score is 38-24. I just think everyone's pretty much scored on this Florida uh, defense, and 
you know, South Carolina almost dropped 40 on this team on the road too. like speaking of Georgia, like their road schedule, like being almost non-existent this year. Like I swear every time I look up, Florida's playing another difficult game on the road. It's this has been an absurd schedule this year. Um, which actually leads me to another point. Like, do you have anything else to say about this game? No, not really. The other thing I was going to say, I mean, we've talked about like they have to have one more win to get bowl eligible. Have you looked at their 2024 schedule? Yeah, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's brutal. It's worse than this Napier's year. Napier is not getting out of 2024. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not possible. Like, they Vanderbilt isn't on there anymore. Missouri's <laughs> not on there anymore. And now, like, you got A&M and you got Texas on there. At a conference, they're playing Miami, UCF, and Florida State. Like, they could lose all three of those. Like, they should be better than UCF. But I don't even know. I think there's no way that team's going to a bowl game next year. I think there's a less than 10% chance that Billy Napier is the Florida head coach in 2025. Yeah, I agree. Cause this team's not making a bowl game this year. No, I don't think so either. All right, Matt Green, where are we going next? We got left. We got one more left. Uh, no, two more. Uh, stayed in the sec. You get 30 seconds on Michigan, Maryland, Matt Green. You get 30 seconds for putting this on my, on my show sheet. here. I'm not sure I've ever seen a 0.5 line ever mm. uh because i'm not really sure what the point is the game's not <laughs> going to be a tie so it's a pick em. it's either zero or or one i don't know but regardless south carolina is a 0.5 point favorite in this one so it's basically a pick em. i don't think they're better than kentucky but i just i don't really know what to make of of you know what kentucky team is going to show up to south carolina on saturday in williams bryce state saturday night sec network game um this just feels like november like night games in south carolina it feels like this is when they're going to play their best so give me south carolina to win this one 27 24 i thought you were going to go kentucky here no i i don't know i think kentucky's a better team but i don't know i don't feel good about this one either to be honest well the reason i say that is because i think there might be something to South Carolina November magic where it's starting to pick up uh, again, Matt Green, where Spencer Rattler had a really I know game. you believe that for sure. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> um, they stuffed Vanderbilt into a locker last week. Uh, it was interesting. I was reading about uh, Liam Cohen talk about how they've changed stuff on defense. Like Carolina, uh, Clayton White has changed stuff um, on defense for South Carolina, and that might be part of why they're playing better much better on that side of the ball um he said liam cohen said quote it's a little annoying i'm sure they're that's part of the goal too obviously to be better on their side of the ball and create some different mismatches and coverages and leverages maybe get different guys in the field for them um so look he sees that this is going to be a little bit different of a south carolina defense it's at home it's going to be rocking i don't think Devin larry's had a great year spencer rattler is really coming on i think he's just had some bad bad injury like in front of him with uh the freshman tackles and everything else and guys being in and out playmaker wise but he's i think had a really good year all things considered they lead the series all time 19 14 and one um kentucky's won seven of the last 10 but i don't know south carolina south carolina the uh, wow south carolina won on the road last year uh in tough low scoring fashion but i think the offense is gonna get right i think south carolina not only wins they cover give me south carolina uh, give me South Carolina 31, 
Kentucky, 21. 31-21, put it on the board. Kentucky's got the 11th ranked pass defense in the uh, in the SEC this year. You said uh, South. Wait, you said South Carolina winning, right? Yes. You said Kentucky. No, I said South Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I think with that passing uh, attack, I think is where they can exploit this Kentucky defense a little bit. And uh, the last one, Michigan. Just because like we haven't been able to even have them on our pick'em basically the entire season until last week. They're playing another team that has a winning record, so we'll throw them on there. They're a 19-point favorite versus Maryland. Um, I didn't have any home dogs of the week this week, so give me give me Maryland to cover. They're not going to beat Michigan, but give me Maryland. 31-13, Michigan wins by 18 points. They run the ball. 34 straight times at, at, at one point in this game or something. Try to break what they did against Penn State a week ago. But yeah, I think I think Maryland's able to put together a couple scoring drives. Maybe maybe one more than Penn State was. Um, but yeah, it's not going to be close. But maybe they maybe they cover because of a, a huge spread. Wow. Um, no, I think Michigan continues to just throttle everybody. And uh, I think they really are America's team this week because no one wants to see Michigan <laughs> drop this game before Ohio State next next week. So no Harbaugh once again. You and think no, America wouldn't love if Michigan lost to Maryland this week? No, I think because would, we want Michigan oh. and Ohio State to matter. No, I think everyone is rooting against Michigan. It's Michigan. What is it? Are they America's team or is it Michigan versus everybody? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> well, either what's your, way. What's your, what's your score? Uh, give me Michigan. This Maryland defense stinks. Give me Michigan 45, Maryland 17. All right. Put it on the board. So we we disagree enough this week. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Iowa State's able to uh, pull the upset, if Miami's able to, uh, to pull the upset, or I guess they're favored. I don't even know what to call some of these upset favored uh matchups this week but yeah i think you're right there hasn't been there's been a lot of chalk to this point so if we saw if we saw washington one of the undefeateds go down um that would be pretty noteworthy um who does florida state have this week do you know off the top of your head i'm trying to pull it up here florida state's got north alabama so i think they're i was gonna say i i felt like it was like one of those loser games because i feel like that's what it was last year too i remember it was like a get right game for them yeah the the November cupcake week is yeah. just uh, the worst part of the season every year. There's we at least have, what three SEC games uh, this week, mm-hmm. and the rest of them are all cupcakes. But yeah, Ohio State's hosting uh, five and five Minnesota, so you know that one could could rock the college football world if something were to happen. But yeah, it's been a been a lot of chalk, uh, like you're saying, to this point. It'll be make for some interesting. Uh, few weeks absolutely all right matt green well that's all i've got uh week 12 will be here before you know it and i'll be in the building for uh tennessee georgia and we'll see how it goes georgia tennessee up on rocky top it is uh should be a an interesting game sir you uh like i said to all, all the people all the strangers i met uh in jacksonville i hope your favorite team has a very poor game on saturday uh but yeah other than that best of luck sir oh god couldn't be classy even at the end classic georgia fan hey, Green, that's always a pleasure i'll talk to you gets. next week
All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Old friend, an OG here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, Mr. Jovan Bua of The Athletic. Jovan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've been better. I mm-hmm. uh, tore my Achilles last month, so that's been... Uh, what were you doing? I was playing basketball on my birthday. Uh, welcome yeah, but to... How old are you now? I'm 31. Yeah, uh, we're a so... year apart, man. I could have... This is one of those you I could have shore up for you years ago now. 28, like, 27 is when you got to retire as a normal person. Like, you got to retire yeah. at that point because my knees started breaking down the back, and you're just, unfortunately, we don't age like uh, LeBron James and no. uh, other NBA guys who have trainers all around to protect us in this situation. Man, did you know immediately? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, so, I, it, w- what was crazy was, so I, I play in a game mm-hmm. on my birthday, and we win the game like kind <laughs> Not at the buzzer, but we, mm-hmm. we get a stop at the buzzer to to win the game. Yeah. And we have this crazy comeback. We This is a team that we've lost to a couple of times. It's gotten heated. We really don't like these guys. Yeah. Uh, so it was a, it was an emotional win uh, as far mm-hmm. as rec leagues uh, wins go. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like running across the court. Like we're all going crazy. I'm running across the court and I just feel something like it, it feels like someone kicks me. Like I, I think someone's running behind me and accidentally steps on my leg. Uh-huh. And then I turn around and no one's there. And I was like, this is so weird. Like how, like what just, what just mm-hmm. happened? And then I take a couple steps, my leg kind of collapses. And then I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. Uh, and at first I thought maybe I tore my calf or like, but you didn't hear like a pop or anything. something. Yeah. Didn't hear a pop, but, but felt, felt the yeah. kick. And that's, that's one of the things that people say is you, you feel like you got kicked uh, in the back of the leg. And then I kind of limped to the bench and then all of a sudden the pain started and it was like, okay, this is, this is bad. Uh, so yeah. I had to be carried down a giant flight of stairs and it, it was the Damn. whole thing. So it was, like, it was like my, my Achilles had an expiration date and it was my 31st birthday. Um, so, but you had uh, surgery, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. I had surgery a couple weeks ago. So actually well, good. Sched- I'm on that Aaron Rodgers plan. Yeah. Uh, ahead of schedule. Back by December. So- I've actually started walking, which Good. a lot of people don't start walking until six to eight weeks post-op. Uh, yeah. I'm at week a little bit past week two, so I had a schedule on that front, but nice. uh, it's it's a process, and it's been tough because it was the beginning of the season, and um, yeah, I went to the Denver game, mm. uh, and but since then, I haven't been on the road, and then I've just been at home games. So, Are you doing crutches, or are you doing the little scooter thing? So I actually am doing this thing called an iWalk. And okay. it's it's a below the knee crutch. Uh, okay. So you basically put your knee in this or your leg rather in this contraption. And uh, it kind of looks like a peg leg. Okay. And it was funny because last night was my first time back at, at crypto.com mm. uh, since my surgery. And everyone thought I had lost. my leg. <laughs> so it was kind of like like I had like random people come up to me and they were like, mm. oh, my God, I saw your leg. And like, I thought you you had it amputated. And, and then. Uh, like I saw the the back of it and I could see the rest of it. And, uh, you know, I was so worried. I was like, uh, mm-hmm. like it, it, it was, it was a distraction a little bit where I just me walking around with this thing, people are all gawking at me, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it a little bit better because your, your hands free. Yeah. Uh, the, the scooters difficult to navigate in, mm-hmm. in a tight, you know, arenas have tight quarters and yeah. it's not really, uh, handicap friendly, but, yeah. uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. It, my leg's pretty sore today, so we'll, we'll yeah. see. I might take a, a little bit more time off. 
I broke my foot. Um, it's funny how like big moments in our lives, like your birthday, you pop your Achilles. My wedding week last year, I broke my foot uh, running the week of my wedding, and uh, that's crazy. That was that was tough. And I was in a boot for two months, um, and that no, no dancing all the way you. back. And I had the same injury Michael Jordan did. So of course I went down the rabbit hole of like who's had my injury, and then I found out in nineteen like eighty five, uh, Michael he tore his or he broke his navicular bone and. His navicular bone and he had an avulsion fracture. And back in the 80s, it's not like now. It's uh, He was like, he made a deal or something with like the team trainers to like let him play 20 minutes a night because he wanted, he he didn't want to go on like long-term like IR or something. And he was, I was reading these old stories about it. And uh, yeah, he found a way to keep playing. And I was like, there's no way I could even begin like the pain and like just thinking about running up and down the court. Uh, with this kind of injury, I was like, absolutely not. And Michael's just over here, like, it's it's fine. I'll, I'll bounce back. I'll, I'll play through it. So, um, it was it's kind of funny. Now that's the only time I'll probably ever compare myself to Michael Jordan on this very show, uh, Yovan. But look, anytime you have that opportunity, uh, it did gotta, kind of make me, it. make it better in the in the rehab. Where I'm like, hey, did y'all know actually Michael and I have a lot in common? We actually both broke uh, uh the bone over here and uh, in that same spot. But you'll heal up. You'll be all right. I'm glad surgery went well and you're bouncing around. Did any players notice that you're hobbling around in post game? Yeah. What yeah, they say? Um, so uh, you know, one people were. It's funny because with, with the players uh, mm-hmm. with the Achilles injury, like uh, when I tell them that, they react like it's it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's like it, players for basketball biggest, players, it is one of the worst. Basketball yeah. players, it's, it's you know your your biggest fear basically. Mm-hmm. So um, a couple guys were like, "You should probably just stay home." Uh, yeah, and and you know, Le- LeBron wished me well, which was nice of him to do mm-hmm. um, after his press conference. Uh, but I mean, they could tell I was laboring around uh, mm. with, with with this eye walk thing because you're basically walking on one leg and then having yeah. the the crutch kind of balance your body weight a, a little yeah. bit. Um, I actually talked to uh, when the Suns were in town. Mm. I, I went pregame and spoke with Kevin Durant because he's obviously mm. I think the most famous recent example in, in the NBA, and he was giving me some advice on on rehab and just the. It's really more of a mental thing uh, mm. because at, at this point. Um, you know, the, the biggest fear is re-rupturing it. So mm-hmm. you have to really be careful with, uh, it, it's it's just kind of like a mental grind of, you know, right now for, or if I wasn't doing this podcast and I had to go to the bathroom, I would just get up and walk to the bathroom. But uh, now I have to be really careful of like, mm-hmm. I need my, my scooter and like one misstep and it could be months or, or years yeah. of a setback. So it's really kind of like every little thing I do, I have to be thinking about, am I putting too much pressure on it? Am I stepping the right way? You know, mm. do I have enough support? So it's just kind of like that 24 um, seven, you know, it, it's always on your mind. Well, you'll enjoy the gate relearning process. Cause that was the weirdest thing to me where they were like, watch <laughs> you walk. And I'm like, what in the world? Like you walk like a crazy person. Uh, once you get the boot off and once you start doing PT and they're like, yeah, it's going to take some time. Like your gate, like you're walking like a crazy person. So that's, uh, that's going to be the most fun. alarming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you're healthy and you're going to make it and you'll be uh, you'll be all right. We're, we're just old, Yovan. It, it hits us at different times, but our Gosh, bodies are yeah. just betraying us. Um, Yovan, the team you were just talking about, the Lakers. Um, interesting start. It seems like they're just going to be perpetual uh, play in team uh, in the West uh, year over year. The roster changes just a little bit, but it seems like with how crowded the West is and teams like the Timberwolves making the leap and the Mavericks getting back to form that. I mean, it's kind of settling uh, in a way, not to the extent the East is where you're you're like, oh, we can just go to the playoffs now. Like, I think this is good. I think we figured it out. The Pistons, worst team in the East. And you just look at the standings. And you're like that. 
I feel like that's pretty close to what it's going to end up in 70 games from now. The West still a lot of a lot of movement, especially uh, in the standings themselves. But when you look at the Lakers through 10 games, do you think just roster construction wise, like they are built to get out of uh, just kind of 500 basketball with the way this team is constructed? Do you think they're going to just have the ups and downs that there are just some limitations now that you're actually seeing new faces and new spots, some guys getting paid, some guys not like, do you, where are you at in terms of just the roster construction that you're seeing on the court through 10 games with this group? I, I think they can get uh, above 500 and and kind of settle into that upper portion of the West and, and mm. be a top six seed. Um, I think right now what they're going through is their roster construction is a bit delicate to your point. Um, in terms of they don't have a lot of perimeter defense. And mm. I would say arguably their two best perimeter defenders right now, Jared Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent, are both out due to injury. Uh, so Gabe has missed the last eight games. Vanderbilt has yet to play this season other than the first preseason game. Uh, so I think those two guys in particular would shore up uh, some of the issues that they've had on the perimeter in terms of containing smaller, quicker scoring guards. I mean, I, as, I don't know if you saw the game last night, but De'Aaron Fox lit mm. them up. It was the second yeah. time he's lit them up this season. And like that's a matchup where the Lakers would like to have the optionality of putting a Vanderbilt on him. They had put Vincent on him in that first matchup. And De'Aaron Fox is De'Aaron Fox. He, he's going to go off kind of regardless. But like they would like to have some better options against those types of guys. So I do think that what, you know, Vanderbilt is supposed to be returning sometime around Thanksgiving, maybe a little bit after. He's been cleared to progress to return. So once he returns, um, do you think he starts? I think, I think he starts, and okay. I, I think they go they go to a starting lineup of uh, eighty Lebron, Vando, D'Angelo Russell, and then the fifth guy is kind of a mystery right now. Hmm. Um, I think Cam Reddish has, uh, and I know you've got some Cam my Reddish old friend experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually been playing really well these last mm-hmm. few games, and I think he's outplayed Torian Prince. So. Hmm. I think if it really comes down to it, he's probably going to start over Torian Prince at this point. Uh, but then you also have Austin Reeves, who the yeah. team was championing uh, as their third best guy and and you know part of their future uh, all offseason. And then they kind of hit some adversity and they move him to the bench. So I, I wonder if Vando, with, with his size, his athleticism on the perimeter, allows the Lakers to go back to the D'Lo Austin Reeves starting backcourt that they had so much success with last season after the trade deadline. So I really look at they're, they have a couple guys out that are, are I, I think, really impacting the rotation. Um, this this is, again, I think, a group with several guys who have very specific roles and, and plug very specific needs. Mm-hmm. So without those two guys, you know, Vincent's also a plus three-point shooter. This team has struggled shooting the ball. So you, you put him back in. I think he plugs a couple holes. Vando's energy guy, long, athletic, you know, good perimeter defender. That plugs that hole. So... I think they're missing those two guys right now. Um, that said, I think one troubling thing for me is they're one in five against teams above 500, and mm. they are uh, uh, five and oh. I mean, sorry, one in six against teams above 500, and five and oh against teams below 500. So it's kind of mm. like look at the opponent, look at their record, and that'll tell you if the Lakers are going to win the game. And that would be my kind of bigger concern for them is they've played very inconsistently. They've played 500 basketball as they are 500 Mm. and it's really kind of just come down to like the quality of opponent and they don't have many great wins like on paper 
beating why do you think that is though is it something you're seeing that's just is it just the nature of like there's better teams or are they playing down like how does that what are you actually seeing in that regard so I, I think again, part of it's been the injuries. LeBron's missed mm-hmm. the game. AD's missed the game. They, they've had several. Uh, Rui's missed some time. Uh, Torian Prince has missed some time. Uh, I do think that they've switched to a five-out offense. So last year they mm-hmm. ran a four-out offense, and that has been a process. And and I think Austin Reeves has probably been the guy who struggled the most adjusting to that. Uh, Why do you think that is? The, I think it's just a different style of play. And I think the way that teams are guarding them because they don't necessarily fear their shooting, uh, some of their passing reads are kind of predictable and you can kind of cheat. Like I thought Sacramento did a good job of shrinking the floor last night and really playing into the passing lanes with D'Angelo and with Austin and even with LeBron to an extent. Um, Anthony Davis, I mean, continues to be a bit inconsistent offensively. Last night, tied a season low with nine points uh, on mm. just three for nine shooting. Uh, so I think there are some structural issues. I'm, I'm not going to downplay that, um, you know, but I, I think for me, they are, uh, I mean, the, the, I'm, I've been probably a, a little lower on them now than, than where, where I was to start the season. But mm. I, I do think they are a team that is built upon having certain guys in certain spots. And right now they haven't really had that. And they've had a tough schedule. If you if you look at the schedule, like you know uh, some of the teams that they played that are under 500, you know the Clippers once who mm-hmm. um, the Clippers are struggling, but still I think on paper have a, a lot of talent. They always play well against the Lakers. I mean they were up by a lot of points in that game before the Lakers came back, and then Phoenix twice. And yeah. Phoenix has also kind of struggled, but like you know they they have KD. Beal played in the second game. It, it was an in season tournament game, so like it. I don't have a great. Um, you know, I don't have a great answer for why the Lakers have, have struggled at times to the extent that they have, but I do think there is something there with like the lack of perimeter athleticism, uh, the the lack of rebounding, and that is something I think they potentially have to address on either the trade market or the buyout market. Well, with all that being said, is Zach Levine the answer to uh, the Lakers' problems? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I I think depending on what the trade looks like. Uh, and it would, um, you know, from my understanding, look like something like D'Angelo Russell with either Gabe Vincent or Rui Hachimura as kind of matching salary, then like one more kind of throw in guy, uh, you know, making a, a little bit of money relatively. Yeah. Uh, and then like, you know, potentially a pick and, and maybe some protection on that. Uh, mm. That type of package for Zach Levine. Uh, I, I like maybe. Um, you know, you could talk me into a Zach Levine, Austin Reeves backcourt, but I, I, I think the, the problem is like on one hand, Zach, I think would, would help with some of the offensive issues they've had. Like they have mm-hmm. had some inconsistency there. Uh, he, he's someone who can get downhill, put pressure on the rim. He's super athletic. He's a really good three-point shooter, even though he hasn't shot the ball well this season. Uh, but it's the de- I look at the defense and it's like, you are potentially creating an even bigger problem on that yeah. end of the floor by trading for him or at, at I think at a minimum, kind of taking a sideways uh, or like a sidestep with like him versus D'Lo. I guess he's a better defender slightly, but like I, I don't think there's a big gap there uh, you know, either way. Mm-hmm. So I think he maybe raises your ceiling as just being a better you know third option and and, and just better offensive you know talent overall. It's kind of more of a talent play. Yeah. But if you're giving up a guy like Rui, who's a key part of your playoff run, um, you know I think he's an improvement over D'Lo. But then. You look at what else you're potentially giving up, and I don't know if it's worth it. So that's why yeah. I actually reported today uh, the Lakers have interest in DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso. If those mm. two guys, if there's like a fire sale in Chicago, 
And now it just becomes everyone's available, um, you know, except for some of the younger guys. We're, we're looking to move pieces like DeRozan and, and, and or Caruso would, would be two guys that the Lakers would have a lot of interest in. Two could guys both or would it be deeper. one or the other? Uh, either, you know, either or, um, mm. you know, could, could be both, could be one. Um, but the Lakers, I, I think any kind of combination of those three, the, the, the one exception would be Levine and DeRozan too much money together. Yeah. But Levine and Caruso, DeRozan and Caruso, uh, one of those guys, you know, individually, Lakers ha- would have interest in in any kind of combination of those three. Caruso's man, the one who got away. Like Laker fans, they've really gotten over it. And then you kind of talk yourself into Gabe Benson yeah. being that guy this year, and it's clear that that's probably not going to happen, right? Caruso's the exact type of guy that they yeah. need. Like, you know, athletic, you know, elite perimeter defender, um, can put pressure uh, on the rim, you know, w- within certain contexts, and um, just that role player that every championship team needs. And yeah. obviously, uh, they saw that firsthand in 2020. Do you think he wouldn't have bad blood there based on the contract stuff and how that all unfolded? Do you think he no. would be okay? Uh, I think there was like a little bit of hard feel. Like I, I think yeah. he, he wasn't happy with how it played out. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they essentially like I'm, I'm simplifying it, but they essentially yeah. chose Taylor Horton Tucker over him, even though they could have kept both. Yeah. Uh, so I think there was a little bit of hard feelings, but I know he, he loves Laker fans. He, he had a good time yeah. playing for the organization and won a title. And I'm sure he, he'd love to be back if it played out that way um changing gears a little bit um bigger believer Jovan, because both are on hot starts both are not the best in the conference like we look at the i think it's just gonna be really hard to take down the celtics in the east and it's gonna be really hard to take down the nuggets in the west uh if they're both healthy but that number two spot it seems like the sixers and the wolves have jumped out to some really strong starts i think they're both gonna win 50 plus games it looks like do you who are you a bigger believer in over the the long-term stretch run here uh in the east and the west and who do you think um or do you think they both could uh be a long-term playoff eastern conference finals and western conference finals run so i'm gonna surprise myself here uh Mm. and and go against my basketball sensibilities because i have been something of i wouldn't say a wolves hater but a, a, a wolves doubter Mm-hmm. Uh, like last season when, when they made the or you know before last season when they made the trade mm-hmm. i was like this is this is a play in team and and, yeah. and maybe borderline not play in team and i saw i mean they're kind of the sexy pick of oh they're going to be a, a 3 or 4 seed you know they're mm-hmm. going to be a really good regular season team and then come playoff time maybe they'll struggle and i was like i do not see this fit here i do not like gobert and towns together kind of out on towns uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, I'm still high on, but like, I, I think he still has a couple steps to take. And, um, I, I was kind of proven right. Uh, they mm. ended up being a, an eight seed, although I, I think they gave Denver a pretty competitive first round series. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of, again, entering this season, it, they were the sexy pick of like all the, the stat models were like, you know, wolves, two seed wolves, three seed. And I was like, I, I just don't, I don't see it, but I was wrong. And yeah. so I, I'm, I'm buying in on the Wolves. I think if you look at the West right now, outside of Denver, uh, like no one is really impressing me. Um, I mean, we just talked about Lakers are 500. Uh, the Clippers have lost six games in a row, including five with James Harden. Uh, the, I mean, the Grizzlies have completely collapsed w- without Jaw and some of the injuries that they've had. Uh, you know, Dallas has been impressive, but I'm. I kind of want to see a little bit more of, of that and, and, and see that sustain. Warriors um, have lost four straight. Warriors have lost four straight. Now Draymond's out. And you've seen some flashes from them, but 
they haven't been consistent. So like the depth, I just I don't yeah, think like, they have the depth to make it. I just look at the look at the West, and it's like it's yeah. kind of up for grabs outside of Denver, and right. that, that that's a big caveat, of course, because <laughs> I, I would say Denver's the heavy West favorite, but Minnesota's actually matched up pretty well. They beat Denver. them. Like, uh, they they just yeah they they just beat them. Uh, you know, several people uh, from the Denver side said that Minnesota was their toughest matchup in the playoffs, yeah. and I think a lot of people took that as like a shot at the Lakers, uh, like a backhanded shot. But I think there was something to that of like. Go Baron Towns as a combo, like that is the type of size yeah. and length that you want in the paint uh, against Jokic, against Aaron Gordon. So uh, I think Minnesota has a chance to establish themselves as the second best team in the West long term, which is to me kind of a crazy statement. But yeah. that's how things are. I mean, I mean, the biggest thing to me is Ant has taken the step. Like he yeah. has looked like a top ten guy this season, and uh, again, he's, he's got to sustain that the rest of the way. But like. He had like he has it. He kind of has that it factor. So uh, I, I look at Minnesota as legit uh, with Philly. I, I think both can I, like if you told me Philly makes an Eastern Conference Finals run, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Um, mm. I think that the Harden trade has obviously worked out well for them. Maxi's taken that leap, and he's looking like an All Star. Uh, my one thing with Philly is I, I just think they've had so many to me like disappointing playoff moments yeah. over the last few years. Embiid is like he kind of got some flack last postseason but Embiid has kind of been at the center of some of that stuff like it's been easy to put some of it on Harden or, or Ben Simmons but like I, I think Embiid's playoff resume is sneakily underwhelming hmm. and I think I, I want to see more from him in in a playoff situation before I can really say Philly can come out of the east and then I'm also just really high on Boston and I think Milwaukee's going to figure it out so like I, I would say Philly to me is more of a distant third than and has a bit of a gap there with those two teams. Whereas Minnesota to me, yes, there's probably a, a solid gap between them and Denver, but the, the rest of the West, like they could easily be that two seed and have a pretty good shot of at least making the conference finals. That's interesting. I think the, the Sixers are a distant two. Like I, okay. I think the East That's is fair. like, I think the Celtics are a distant one. The Celtics are and the Sixers are a distant two. And then I think the rest of the East is just like the Hawks are fun. I mean, they, are, you, are you out of Milwaukee? I am out of Milwaukee. Okay. I think there's just the weird stuff with Terry Stott to begin the year jumping out. I think Chris is Middleton might be cooked. I think there might be something where they can't make a deep run without Middleton being an all-star. Like, I don't think they're going to be able to survive on the perimeter. And I mean, Dame's defense is bad, bad. And I just, I I don't think they can save this season. I think they're actually like with Giannis, the the floor is extremely high still, but like, do I think they're going to be able to win three playoff rounds in the East? No, no, I don't. I think not, they're kind of not buying Bleak Beasley as a no, holiday. No, I mean he was glitching on the court that? last week. Like, I mean, he referred to himself as the new Drew Holiday. Yeah, that's not not happening. No, no, I, I don't think that's coming. Yeah, so I think they're and then you see like the reports of like Caruso uh, around the league would make a lot of sense for Milwaukee. And I'm like, what do they have left to give up? And also like yeah. I don't think Caruso's solving those problems. Like I don't, I think they have a wing problem. I think he and, would help, but like you have a Chris Middleton he, problem. Like yeah. the gamble on Chris Middleton, I think is ultimately going to unfortunately do them in is because this all works if chris is still an elite guy you can count on week over week but i just i think at this point i would not bet on chris middleton to be an all-star for two straight months in the playoffs anymore would you no yeah. no no and then you're um, kind of screwed yeah i mean I, I think i think there's there's something to just 
the top end talent with Dame yeah. and and Giannis and but what do you do against uh, the Celtics with those wings? Like they have nothing yeah, to throw at them. Like you're getting toasted. They do the have a Boston problem. Yeah, you know, even at that, and that partly is a Chris Middleton problem. But like, yeah, that, that was my thing. Looking at the roster, was I just don't see how you, and, and especially, I mean, we'll we'll see how Adrian Griffin approaches yeah. it. But historically, they have not been willing to put Giannis on wings. Yeah. Uh, they've kind of you know not put him on that primary matchup. So if, if they do that, I mean, that is a lot for him to do defensively yeah. uh, in addition to all he does offensively and just kind of in, in general. So we'll see if they approach that differently, but I, I think they, they do like they need, they're a team that needs to make a trade and needs to upgrade their perimeter defense and, and athletic, like kind of like the Lakers and to some extent. Yeah. Uh, final thing here, standings watch, which uh, record surprises you the most right now through 10 to 12 games or so? Who did you have like come into the league? You're like, oh, I think this they're going to be about here at this point in the year. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh, this is not it could be positive or negative. So I, I got three for you. Uh, okay. And I'll hit them quickly Um, in, in a positive sense. I'll say my biggest surprise overall has been Houston. Um, yeah, I, I was not like I, I thought they would be better. And maybe in that like thirty to thirty-five one range, and they could still end up being there. It, it, it is early, but uh, Dylan Brooks, <laughs> like yeah. who knew Dylan Brooks was the the secret sauce of? Uh, you look at Memphis's struggle, like yeah, Memphis is having the type of season you would kind of expect more from from Houston. Uh, yeah. But Shen, I mean, Shangun is taking a leap. Like he to me is uh, maybe the the most promising young big man in the league right now. Hmm. Um, you know, I guess it depends like where you draw the line with like young, but, um, hmm. I mean, of course, like what, okay. Wemby of like, of course, but, yeah. uh, like not I guess, non rookie edition, what Wemby and Chet are, are in their own category, but like Shangun to me looks like a future all-star future multi-time hmm. all-star. Um, I, I really just like, he can do, I mean, it's, it's, uh, a, a tired comparison at this point, but the, the Jokic and Sabonis of, of just him operating from the elbows and, uh, his passing, youngest uh, big man to 500 assists uh, in, in NBA history. So, like, I, I just, I, I really like him. I, I think he's so skilled and talented. Uh, you know, Jalen Green. Like, I, I just think that they got some pieces there. Ima Udoka. I mean, we've now seen it. Now he he comes in and he just changes the culture uh, mm. and, and you know kind of gets I think gets everyone to buy in and exceed expectations. So Houston to me has been the biggest surprise overall. Uh, the other two quickly would be uh, Indiana. I was not expecting them to be seven and four. Uh, yeah. I thought they I thought they had a, a chance to be a playing team, but best offense in the NBA. Uh, they've you know, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, like, yeah, he's make he's not the best point guard in the league, but he's making a case to be like number two or number three in my opinion. Um, de- again, depending on who you view as a point guard, like I, I put Steph and Luca ahead of him. And, yeah. And, uh, he, he's right there. But I also uh, just love those teams that like, I'm a big believer in just emphasize like the Kings should do this where, Hey, you're not going to win the title with this group. Like, I don't think you have anybody who's going to be a top five player in the league, but you've been in the gutter for nearly 20 years and teams who really, really are fans who really want to like, we got to even this out. We can't just be all offense or we can't just be, all, I'm like, absolutely not. You need to be like, we're going to have 142 per hundred possessions offense. We're going to be fine. Like, stop worrying about stuff like that. Like, just lean into it. Make another trade for another. Like, if you're the Kings, trade for Zach Levine. Keep adding just shooters. Just keep adding scoring to just make the most fun offense. Like, make this fun. So I just look at it that way with the Pacers where I'm like, yeah, they're not going to stop anybody. But they're probably never going to be able to stop anybody with this core. So just lean into it more. Uh, Just keep at, like, who cares? Just have the most fun offense in the league and see where that goes for a couple of years. Right? Yeah. 
And then the the last one for me is on the disappointing side has been yeah. the Clippers at just three and seven, uh, six game losing streak, zero and five with James Harden, and I don't really know what you do because they they clearly have a problem with the the Harden Westbrook backcourt, mm. and you can't start both guys. I think that was like it was pretty obvious going into the situation that mm. it wasn't the best fit between those two. Uh, and just those four kind of ball dominant, like guys who need the ball uh, to some extent. Mm. Um, and I think like in, in a way, Westbrook has outplayed Harden, but I, I think most people would say Harden's the better player. And I don't think either guy would welcome uh, a relegation to the bench as the, the Lakers can attest to and, and saw firsthand uh, last season. So yeah. I don't really know what you do there. Uh I, I mean, I, and I, if you move one of them to the bench, I don't know who you move uh, there. Uh, like Harden's the new guy, but Harden is the guy making a lot more money. Uh, this is the guy you just traded a lot for. Uh, I don't think, I mean, he was talking about not loving his role in Philly as a distributor. And like, he's still putting up 20 plus points, 10 assists a night, and he's not loving that role. So are you going to put him on the bench? Like that doesn't, I, I don't see how that's going to fly with him. And as we know, when he once he's upset or kind of checked out of a situation, he becomes destructive. And then with Russ, Russ does not view himself as a bench player, and I don't think he would love a move to the bench. So like they're almost going to be forced to try and figure it out with that starting lineup, and with two non-shooters in, in Russ and Avita Zubats, that cramps your spacing to a certain extent. And then you got the stars just like not having any rhythm, not having any flow, not kind of your turn, my turn. Everyone's Try not to step on each other's toes. Defensively, uh, they've they've not been great. So it's like, I just I I don't know what they do. That they're in a really tough spot. Um, I think it's going to get better. That they're not going to go winless in the James Harden era. But uh, they also don't look like world beaters who can can truly contend for a championship. So I think they're in a really tough spot right now. Yovan Bua, what can the good folks check out from you across the athletic this week? Uh, yeah, so I just had a story go up on the Lakers' interest in the Bulls players. Uh, so be on the lookout for that on The Athletic. And uh, got some vlog content. Back mm. to vlogging now that I'm back at games. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's TikTok. Kinda, check out the TikTok, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, YouTube shorts. Been, been trying mm. to post everywhere. So uh, Yovan Buha on all platforms. There you go. Yovan, always a pleasure. Get well soon. Take it easy. Don't re-injure yourself. We're too old. We got to be careful, man. We just got to walk slow. We're in our Larry David era. Uh, we love it. We we just got to we gotta embrace it. Uh, father time comes for us all. Uh, Yovan, thank you as always, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, hello. Welcome back. Chase Thompson's podcast. Taping this on a Thursday night. First timer. Over at TheRinger.com, a very good website that you should go check out today if you are not already, but if you're a fan of the show, you know all about the the Ringer and the wonderful NBA writers that they employ, like Howard Beck, now joining the fold, a uh, friend of the pod, Howard Beck, and now we got Rob Mahoney on here of The Ringer. Who, how long have you been at The Ringer now, Rob? God, great question. Uh, it's been four years, I think. Wow. Time flies, you know, a pandemic in between certainly yeah. speeds things up a little bit. It is weird to think about, too, because like I was, uh, I mean, obviously I was a 
Great Land guy way back in the day. And then uh, we're all ESPN True Hoop Network guys from even further back in the day when I first started reading you, which was, uh, I mean, I don't want to date. Let's just not date ourselves and how long that actually <laughs> No one has was. to know. Yeah, it's just, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, if uh, you're familiar with uh, um, 80, what is it? 82 seconds of hell? 82 feet of hell? What was the San Antonio Spurs one? And then the basketball one, because you had uh, Jason Gallagher who did... Uh, baller ball, I want to say. Yeah. If yeah. That was what it was 48 called. minutes of hell is the Spurs blogger. There it is. 48 minutes of hell. That's what it was. Yeah. And uh, hopefully those all just keep. I would, if I would just, uh, maybe this is a pitch to Bill, Rob, is uh, just it, re reintroduce it. Let's bring it all back. <laughs> Let's just uh, get the blogs back and have a little subset of that. Because I miss those. Those were all great. There was I so much too. great writing there. It was a good time. Now, you know, for now, they're just stuck in the way back machine for someone to, you know, some archivist to dig up one of these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Rob, uh, I want to start here because I think this is like one of those questions that I've been rattling around a lot um, the first uh, couple weeks of the NBA season. And it's never good when like you see the report of, hey, uh, Alex Caruso and the Bucks make a lot of sense. And this is something that could really jumpstart this season. And it hasn't really gone well out of the gate here for Damian Lillard and company. Um, Giannis is <laughs> Uh, out here feuding with officials uh, at the early point of the year, uh, getting tossed for crazy stuff. And Chris Middleton, uh, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I have my doubts about where it's going to be uh, seven months from now and if he still has all-star in him for a two-month stretch and what lies ahead there. But I I don't know. I ask you as someone who uh, covers this game extremely well, Rob, do they have a wing problem or is it more... Is there more to what's going on with the Bucks right now out of the gate? There's definitely more to it, but the wing problem is a, a great place to start. And I think mm. the hope, you know, the, the pie-in-the-sky hope, if you're in Milwaukee, is that, yes, you have a wing problem now. Mm. But between Chris Middleton ramping up from his 20-minute minute limit at present, uh, developing some of the younger guys on the roster who could fill that spot, and as you alluded to with Alex Caruso, like maybe bringing in one more veteran wing, Maybe by April, you hope you don't have a wing problem, but I don't know how you could look at the Milwaukee Bucks as currently constructed and say, that's a team that has their wing rotation really figured out because it's a, it's a bit of a disaster and admittedly much less of one when Chris Middleton is on the floor, right? Yeah. They've been good when he's out there, especially in terms of the flow of their offense's production. Like he looks like himself offensively, but defensively, this is not the kind of Bucks team we're used to. What have you seen, like, technically? Is it just personnel, or why? Is it just different coaching? What's been the biggest shift from what you've seen from the Bucks over the last couple of years to this year? I would say, I mean, dramatically different style of coaching, for one, mm. going from Mike Budenholzer to Adrian Griffin. And in a way where I, I can't say I see what Adrian Griffin sees in mm. the decisions he's making in terms of the style that this team came out of the gate playing defensively, in terms of some of the ways he's tried to piece things together and adjust on the fly... I'm not necessarily tracking why those things make sense. Mm. And I think the players, you can see it in their effort and some of their confusion too, in terms of like, what are we running? Why are like, you know, I think there's, there's a couple things happening. One, this team is, is a little bit too old and too slow to play any kind of hyper aggressive defensive style mm. right now. And then just kind of going back to the old drop that they used to have doesn't quite work either because they don't have the same personnel they used to have. They've There's actually been like a significant amount of turnover in some of these role player spots, yeah. not to mention, you know, Middleton, as, as we've said, like on a limit, Giannis in and out of the lineup, Brooke Lopez a year older. There aren't a lot of easy answers. And a lot mm. of the players you brought in, whether it's Damian Lillard or Malik Beasley or whoever you want to look at, 
these aren't great defenders. These aren't mm. even necessarily replacement level defenders. So the Bucks have a lot to figure out between now and the playoffs. You know, the good news is the high end talent is as high as you'll find anywhere in the league, and there's a lot of confidence in that alone. But there's going to have to be some real problem solving, and that's a lot to put at the feet of a first year head coach. What is what is the option then? You talked about the drop and some of the stuff that's different. Like what is, you can't be hyper aggressive with this older unit. Like yeah. what is the solution there? How did they become a top 10 defense again with their current personnel? Or is that even not possible? I think it's possible, but you're going to be more on the fringes of that top 10 versus mm. the Bucks teams of, of years past were, you know, top three, top five half right defenses, if not overall defenses. This one is going to have to be a little different. It's going to probably have to be an elite offensive out, outfit that ends up in the, the 8 to 12 range defensively to really contend. I still think it hews a little bit more conservative in terms of the coverage on a full-time regular season basis, right? It's still going to have to be a good amount of drop because that's where Brooke Lopez is going to be most effective. And mm -hmm. he's such an important member of your team right now. I think a lot of this stuff resolves itself if you find ways to compensate in transition. Milwaukee is just getting blitzed with teams running against them. Mm. And if if they can balance their floor a little bit more effectively, especially again with some of these wings, with some of these guards, with some of these these new players they brought in, that'll go a long way because right now what it looks like is a lot of crashing around the basket and then campaign is your only guy going the other way trying to stop a 3 on 1 fast break and that is a that's a fool's errand, my friend. <sighs> I mean, maybe that's the the option of like why Caruso makes a lot of sense is you have him in those spots and you don't totally. have to play campaign like maybe that. But I mean, how much does Alex Caruso, let's say he is the guy and he's not ending up in the Lakers or somewhere else uh, in the next couple of months? Because it does seem like the Bulls are heading towards a massive sell off here with yeah. I mean, Patrick Williams has popped up. Caruso's popped up. DeRozan's popping up. Zach Levine, obviously. It's never good when like four guys are it's never good when you have a players only meeting after the first game so that's <laughs> no. probably uh, uh issue number one there but does he actually move the needle and does he fit with uh, the main three and does he fit next to dame potentially in close games late oh definitely moves the needle definitely fits with what they have i think in particular his ability to guard across i think one through three is a primary defender but even when caruso gets mismatched against a four or five with some size he's so mm. pesky he's so good at jumping entry passes into the post and things like that fighting on rebounds you can get away with him in a lot of different spots i think he's he's kind of the budget version of the defender that you might plausibly be able to afford mm. the problem is how plausibly because milwaukee is way over leveraged in its picks that are already out the door right they give up four second round picks just to get jay crowder if i remember correctly uh that doesn't feel great especially with jay crowder no. also injured right now out of the lineup yeah. so adding to, to milwaukee's wing problem but whatever the the disaster scenario is in chicago i think milwaukee needs to be at the front of the line for those conversations you want Caruso, you're aiming for Caruso. He's such a great fit in terms of what he could be for this team defensively. But even if you can't get him, you know, former Buck Javon Carter could be a good get for this mm. team. You know, Torrey Craig is a wing who could make sense for this team. You know, you don't have to necessarily have the perfect solution, but right now they need any kind of solution. And so even if they can't get Caruso, I think there's other options for them there in the in the Bulls fallout. Do you like have a really hard conversation with Giannis about Chris Middleton? Do you just say, look, we got to get him. We're going to have to play it. The minutes restrictions off. We're going to hope he plays at an all-star level for a couple months. And then we have to move him because this, the wheels are falling off. And I don't think we can win a title with this depth on the wing. And it's just, I understand you love him. You want a title with him. But like, if you, you, you're coming back, we know you're coming back for the next couple of years. 
like that decision's coming down the pike whether you want to admit it or not because like chris middleton's not going to be your uh third co-star three years from now like it just I, no. I think the writing's on the wall right so maybe get out ahead of it but i also don't know what what like what's chris middleton's trade value right now this is the problem and it's you know you have damon Giannis. Yep. But once you move beyond them in terms of, okay, what else can this team offer in a trade to resolve all these issues we're talking about? Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez in particular are just more valuable to the Bucks than they're going to yeah. be to almost any other team. And then beyond them, you're just like, do you move Bobby Portis for another wing? Okay, like that, you know, you can have that conversation, but what team is throwing you an elite defensive wing or high level two way wing in exchange for a big? You know, yeah. at this stage in the game, like who are the teams out there that have glaring needs for like a, a power, like a power with a little bit of finesse rebounding energy center, who's probably best served coming off the bench. And that is not a long list of candidates. So yeah. I think you have those conversations, but the realistic turn to all of them is, are you really going to move Chris Middleton for, you know, maybe one to two role players who we all know in our heart of hearts are not as effective as even Middleton is now. We're just kind of selling, you know, you're you're getting a, a couple of quarters on the dollar, yeah. Even for your for your already injured veteran player, who's kind of important to the structure of this team right now. I mean, uh, me being a big Hawks guy, um, it is funny to think about because I think Dejounte and Trey are playing a lot better than I thought. Like Quinn Snyder's just a hey, yeah. the guy's just a the guy cranks out regular season wins. He just knows what, what he's doing, doing the regular yeah. season and the rotations and everything else. But I'm like. You know, I, I'll never be a big DeAndre Hunter guy where I'm never going to be like, yeah, that's been great. I've really enjoyed this experience. We have this in common. Yeah. Like, it's just not pleasant. I The trading up for him and the kind it's just, it, it, I can go down a whole rabbit hole there. And then you have AJ Griffin, who's obviously buried uh, in the depth chart here. Mm -hmm. Like, I, or, I don't know. Like, maybe it's something like AJ and DeAndre Hunter for Chris Middleton, where if you're the yeah. Hawks, you're like, hey, man, the clock's ticking with Trey anyway. Um, I don't think uh, we're missing out on a generational talent if we were to flip a couple wings of this mm. group. Maybe it's Sadiq Bey, who they didn't pick up his option um, earlier. Maybe you do something like that, where it helps the Bucks a lot more in terms of just settling, getting them a little bit more depth in the wing, and then the Hawks just get more top-in, like best-case scenario, where it's like, you're kind of in that mold anyway, where yeah. you're the clock sticking, you're committed to DeJounte, you're committed to Trey. I mean, you just uh, locked up in Yekka and Kongwu. Jalen Johnson's going to be your cheap uh, fifth guy for a little bit. Maybe that's what you roll with and just see what that looks like in the playoffs where Chris definitely won't have a lot of pressure on him in a DJ uh, Trey Young situation where it's like, hey, and you're like, oh, well, what about the injuries? I'm sorry. Have you watched the last three years of DeAndre Hunter and <laughs> important play? Like, well, you're not losing anything. So I think it's yeah. one of those where maybe you get younger and you bet on that if you're in Milwaukee. But that's the best I could come up with is actually like, I don't know if I would hate that as a Hawks fan. But that's the kind of version of a trade you would need to talk yeah. yourself into for Milwaukee is probably the kind of wing prospect who at present leaves you a little bit cold yeah and that's a deandre hunter you, you know you brought up pat williams in chicago yeah. maybe that's another like chicago doesn't have any need for a chris middleton yeah. but that kind of player who's like you can see the appeal of the body type of what they yeah. could be but they haven't put it all together yet and asking a Giannis dame team <laughs> to roll the dice on a player who hasn't put it together yet and at the cost yeah. of chris middleton i think that might just be too steep yeah, I mean, maybe the Raptors, but they're not like you just don't have the assets for OG Ananobi. Like you don't oh, like that's not. probably the perfect scenario is an OG in that spot, but you just don't have the assets. Yeah, you're you're playing for Gary Trent if you're talking to Toronto. <laughs> you know, you, that's that's the kind of market you're looking at. Goodness gracious, I, I, I hate to say it, Rob. I think the Bucks are screwed. I, I really do. I don't. I think they'd be good. I just don't think they can win the title again with this group. I think they're just kind of locked and just kind of screwed there a little bit. And it might be that kind of year. Honestly, we've seen yeah. that with kind of 
super teams or kind of super team adjacent constructions in the past where the first year when you get the star, yeah, it, you kind of have to string it together as you go, but then turn over one season, you get a couple new draft picks you can trade in the coffer, you have a little mm. more optionality, and maybe year two of Giannis and Dame is when things really take off. And year two of Adrian Griffin's coaching career for that yeah. Maybe. <laughs> You're the the ultimate optimist for Milwaukee. I don't know if I'm there. Um, the Pistons. It could be worse. They're just a constant reminder for Milwaukee fans. It could be worse. Um, Detroit's lost nine straight. Um, Cade's back, which is nice. Killian Hayes is starting, which just every other game causes a mutiny for, among Pistons fans. Yeah. Um, I think James Wiseman just might not be a good NBA player. I think we're, we're nearing... I just... He's like an awesome box score checker. Like every morning when I'm going through box scores of games I didn't watch and I'm like, I'm going to, okay, James Wiseman, 14 minutes. I'm going to go minus seven. And oh. those were like, you're just looking and you're like, there's never going to be like a James Wiseman, 12 minutes plus 24. You're never going to see that for James Wiseman. I don't think. Um, but I didn't think they'd be this bad. I thought with Monty Williams and with Kate coming back, the, the East being pretty volatile all across the board because there's only a couple teams you can really cross off it's like they can't make the play in and it's uh end of list of wizards and um uh pistons i guess at this point because i mm. still think the hornet steve clifford i just i'll never discount uh, regular season steve clifford and i'm with you um we'll see on that front but um what do you make of the pistons and why they've been so bad or on this horrid losing streak to this point i think they just had that kind of moment that a lot of young teams have where you come out of the gate you storm out of the gate really and yeah. you have a lot of talent and a lot of energy and enough things are kind of breaking in your favor that you're you're winning or you're staying close in some games but at a certain point the opposing teams slow down yeah and they look around and they say wait we don't actually have to guard three of these guys behind the arc <laughs> at a given point in time wait we have a mismatch almost every trip down the mm -hmm. floor because of the way detroit's lineups are being put together right now Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has come home to roost in addition to some of the some of the injury absences, which are costing them like this is not a team that's deep enough to withstand injuries, least of all to a player like Kate, like he's so important yeah. to the, just the, the the bare minimum functioning of their offense. But for now, it's just too cramped, right? They yeah. just don't have the spacing for the talent that they have to flourish. And you can see it in their desperation to grab at the nearest shooter they could find, who is Kevin Knox. And Kevin Knox coming in and making an immediate impact. Like, that's how badly they need shooters yeah. right now. I mean, he had the most minutes of anybody, I think, last night. Like, Kevin off the bench, I should say. But, like, what Kevin a, what Knox crazy as someone. Position. Oh, my God. Like, he was a hawk for a little bit and couldn't. I mean, it was it was rough. Um, but like like you said, I mean, Isaiah Stewart starting at the four with Jalen Duran, who I like. Jalen Duran, I think, is going to be a, a good player for them. Yeah. But, like, I mean, what like, what's the downside of just playing Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham a bunch together? Like, have there the better um i don't know like are you a jade ivy guy or are you just is he a six man type guy more to you uh, like what what have you seen from jade ivy with this group does he fit next to cade what where are you at where are you at so last season i thought you saw some really impressive flashes from him some mm -hmm. moments where it's like oh this is an undeniable athletic talent shot making talent the mm -hmm. moxie the change of speed you could see him being a real difference maker on the ball trying to create this year, he has not found a comfortable place in their offense yet. Clearly, Monty Williams does not trust him on the level to want to start him and wants to see mm -hmm. something more from him. And there's been some quotes to that effect, which fair enough. He's a young player. I can I can understand kind of wanting to put him through the paces a little bit. And Monty is a guy who you have those trials with him as your mm -hmm. coach, right? Like he, he makes you earn it. And then you come across, come around the other side. And there's just like a newfound respect on all mm -hmm. sides. Uh, unless you're DeAndre Ayton, apparently, you know, maybe may the exception to every rule. Yeah. 
I would like to see Ivy in that starting lineup. I don't really see the logic in starting Killian Hayes, as, as you alluded to, especially I don't see the logic in starting Hayes and Stewart both. If you want to do one of those things, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make me pick and choose, I'm going to take Isaiah Stewart in that spot, who I think has acclimated himself reasonably well, like made at least enough of his threes to be credible. And we know what kind of, he kind of gives you in terms of like effort and physicality and yeah. energy and force in that lineup. So I, I, I like those things. I don't really like what Killian Hayes adds to that group. And I don't know why you would be punting on one of the more interesting young prospects on your roster for whatever reason, Monty Williams is currently punting on, on Jaden Ivey. Yeah. So I, I personally would like to see it. I kind of think eventually we will, if not, it'll either be Ivy or Marcus Sasser in that spot. I think eventually over time, but for now, this is what we got. And this is what the Pistons have. And it's, man, it's, it's really putting them behind the eight ball. Like that starting lineup is getting blitzed yeah. in a lot of these games. And I don't think that's going to change. And you're just kind of like out of it. I think you came into the year with the upgrade, making Monty the highest paid NBA coach. And you're like, there's going to be a, a bump. There should yep. be a bump. And they might be worse than they were a year ago. Well, they might get to that bump. Yeah. And, and like, I think that's something to remember about the Monty Williams experience is that even when, when the Suns like took off in the bubble, for example, mm. that was a team that kind of like frittered around, like couldn't quite find itself for the majority of that regular season. And then in the right competitive circumstances took off. Yeah. And maybe this is the case where we get to, you know, February, March and April, and things are starting to really come together for a team that if we're just being honest, is just super young. And yeah. a lot of these guys have not seen significant floor time because of injury. They haven't had a chance to coalesce together at all. And so much of what they're going through defensively just looks like a team that's really raw and really inexperienced and very uncoordinated. Like there's a lot mm. of defensive standouts, but they're not working together in a way that contributes to, to productive defense right now. Yeah, I just, we'll see. I don't know if I like love any of, like, are you, do you love Cade? Do you think Cade has like first team all NBA potential? I think he would need to show a lot in terms of consistent shot making. Yeah. And honestly, like this is one of the things that's hard to judge because yeah. from what we've seen, he's a very high level playmaker. Mm. Uh, he's kind of operating in a straight jacket right now. And so yeah. what does he look like on a team that has elite level spacing? That could be a, a totally different kind of setup for him, a totally different proposition that dramatically raises the ceiling as a player. I think in order for him to be an all NBA level guy, he would have to show a significant jump in basically all areas of his game. Mm. Not only in the things he does well, but you need something to compensate for the fact that he's never going to be the kind of player who gets to the rim consistently. And so yeah. like, can he draw fouls consistently instead? He hasn't really done that on, on an every night basis just yet. So there's going to be these trade-offs for him. I think he has an, he's an amazingly talented player, but maybe not one who's all NBA at any point in his career. And then you're just like, man, if you're a Pistons fan, you're like this, uh, like, what do we do? You're in that Hornets territory where you're like, well, he was the number one overall pick. And then yeah. you're trying to get better. So then you're, get, you're getting further. I mean, I guess next year. But you're like, who, which of these young guys do you see as like a, like you have so many lottery picks now. Thompson, I think is probably going to be a good player, but he's yeah. just more of a role guy, more of a role kind of player. And then you For look sure. at Duran, more of a role player, good player, but a role player. And then Jaden Ivey, you're like, man, it, if you miss on all those in terms of not missing, just like they're going to be all bad players. It's just to get that many guys not develop into potentially even worst case scenario, second team all NBA guy in their prime. They're like, what are we doing? Like, that's just demoralizing as a fan base. Cause you're like, you would hope at least one of these guys would, uh, can, would break out. And I just don't know who that is. I would still bet Cade, but I just, I don't feel great about it. Yeah. Um, you know what else I don't feel great about Rob as uh, we wrap up here, the Miami heat 
in terms of them playing the Atlanta Hawks because that should just be given a win uh, as long as Spo is coaching the Heat. Uh, they just know how to put Trey in this group in a blender every time they play. Um, but the Heat are playing really good basketball right now. A lot of people were panicking early on. Were you, uh, first thing, were you an early panicker about uh, the Heat? And also, do you think they're fine and that this is now sustainable and this is more of who they are, a top four seed? Because people forget they were a lot playing team last year. Um, it's not like everything was smooth sailing and it's not like the flip to the switch uh, flipped and things were awesome in the regular season. I, I don't know. Where are you at with the heat? Yeah, they don't really do smooth sailing. No, they, they kind of <laughs> they sometimes trip and fall over themselves all throughout mm-hmm. the regular season. And then they have enough guys who you can count on in the playoffs where it, it just works out. OK, like yeah. it's, it, it, they're one of those mystifying teams in that way. And in particular, Jimmy Butler is one of those mystifying players in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of what we've seen, to be totally honest, is just good things happen when you go from playing the Celtics and the Timberwolves and the Bucks, even in their mm. current state to playing the Wizards and the Hornets and the Grizzlies. Like a lot of that is just schedule regularization over time. Mm. But I think the most significant thing to happen on the court right now, and we can, we can say this part quietly so we don't raise too much of a fuss, but mm-hmm. uh, they just look better when Tyler hero is not a part of their starting lineup. And he's mm. been out of the lineup right now with an ankle injury, or at least over the last couple games. With Duncan Robinson in there, they look a lot more functional. They just why do you think that is? They look a lot more like themselves. I think the flow of the offense is so much more in tune with the way the Heat want to play and the way that Mm -hmm. they're best served playing. Hero put up some great individual numbers to start the season, and really in every game he's played for the most part. But it's not a coincidence that when you look at the lineup data, it's like Hero and Butler and Bam on the floor together. That's like a break-even lineup for the most part. Mm -hmm. When Jimmy and Bam play without him healthy net positive hmm. every other combination is losing and so it, you know it's it's one of those things where you put these two core guys with more shooting a better combination of defenders too like they kind of uh promoted haywood highsmith in the rotation too yeah. they've been starting him more which is nice for their defense but really the big jump has been going from an awful bottom of the bin offense to start the season to now getting like closer to league average and their defense is going to be strong enough to overcome an average offense for the most part. So I think just that gain alone, that functionality of having a, not a, just another shooter on the floor, but a movement shooter like Robinson and someone who isn't going to control and dominate the ball quite as much as Hero does, I think it's just better for their flow, to be honest with you. Does anything look different with Jimmy? Do you see any signs of aging or any kind of just the kind of runs that they've been on the last couple of years kind of weighing on him? Or does he look just like old Jimmy? He looks like regular season Jimmy to me. Okay. Which, which is to say... Every couple games, he'll pop off for 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. And some games, he's going to put up like 12 points. And, and that's going to be okay, too, depending on what the rest of your team does. Or maybe it's just kind of what it's going to be. But yeah, that for whatever reason, that's the way he is. And I don't know if it's just his game ebbing and flowing as hard as it does. Uh, but certainly, you can see him just not really care to be a dominant scoring yeah. star on a nightly basis. And Miami doesn't really want him to be. They should do a whole thing where like Draymond intentionally gets uh, thrown out first when Steph's out. Jimmy should actually make it known before the game. This is a non-Jimmy game. Like he should just make it known. <laughs> we like put it in the. It's not. I'll play. Like he's yeah. like I'll I'll go about uh, the All NBA stuff and like being required to play and not rest. But like I'll give y'all a heads up. Like this is a twelve point Jimmy night. Like just it's a act, heads up. It's an act of protest. At yeah. The end of the day. <laughs> It's a 12 point Jimmy night. Uh, Rob, this was great. Uh, what can the good folks check out from you uh, over at the Ringer this week? 
Yeah, check us out at TheRinger.com. All of our NBA staff doing work. I just wrote a feature on Tyrese Halliburton, so you can check that out. And you can check out The Ringer NBA show on, really on Spotify, mm-hmm. given that that's our parent company, but yep. also on the pl- podcast platform of your choice if, you so, if you're so inclined. But also do Spotify. That's what I do. That's what I listen to. It's the easiest way to go about it. Highly encouraged. Yes, there you go. Uh, Rob, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll have to do this again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.